After considerable deliberation of the evidence at hand, it is our decision that this muto does indeed constitute a threat. Therefore, in the interest of public safety, he is hereby sentenced to be recycled in a customary fashion. Proceed. I'm sorry. His tendons to freeze, his blood to grind. Too strange for life he was. This muta now does leave us recycled and entombed. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted a punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. It was kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing, or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Film Effect Podcast, the weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it what we call the full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. I'm Justin. And I'm Corey. And this is Waterworld. The sun. For millions of years, the source of life. But for one planet, the source of its demise. The temperatures climbed. The vast fields of ice at its poles melted, and the oceans rose. Centuries later, few people remain on this planet once called Earth. still searches, a woman who still hopes, and a small child who carries the secret to a new beginning. In this place they know only as Water World.
In 1995's Waterworld from director Kevin Reynolds is set in the future where the polarized caps have melted and Earth is almost entirely submerged. Meanwhile, a mutated mariner fights starvation and outlaw smokers and also reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. So, I should just get this off, the t- get this off my chest at the top of the show. I'm dealing with COVID, so it's finally hit me. So I'm just struggling through this, so if I sound off, that is why. Um, but, guys, it's not every day I get the chance to sit down and talk about what a world, you know? So... Of course I'm up for it. <laughs> um, what, you don't talk about Waterworld all the time? I talk about it like every day. Not willingly. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put it that way. Um, no, this, like I said, it's just a film that got a bad rap when it first came out, and it's plagued the film ever since. We're going on, what, 25 years, 20, 20, almost 30? Uh, 95, do my math, 27 years. It's, you know, for as far back as I can remember since it first came out, like, you talk about Waterworld of somebody... And really, nine times out of ten, instead of having a legit, just genuine conversation about the film itself, it's always, oh, that movie bombed so bad. Like, that was, like, the biggest tank in box office history. Like, that's always the thing that someone says first. And it's like, yeah, but there's so much more to it. And that's why I love podcasts like this. Because we can deep dive into those kind of things and explain the, the who's, the why's, the what's, the all that shit. So... Yeah, I like the funny thing with like it being a bomb is I feel like a lot of people hear the word bomb and just instantly think the movie is of bad quality. Right. Like where one has nothing to do with another. I mean, a movie can be a complete bomb at the box office and be excellent. Like, so I think a lot of people hear that. Oh, this movie, you know, at the time lost the most money ever. It must be a bad movie. Well, that's not the case. I mean, it has its issues, but it's an entertaining film. It's just. It got that bad connotation of the bomb because I know when I was younger, that's kind of how I looked at it. Right. Until I saw the movie uh, when it hit cable. Like, I mean, that's that's how it was for me. I was like, oh, that movie's terrible. And then I saw it and was like, what's everybody talking about? You yeah, know? most of the most of the conversations I've ever had with anybody about it, it's usually like the other person's like, yeah, Waterworld was OK. Like nobody's I've never heard anybody go. That's the worst movie I've ever seen. It, or I've heard people go, oh, that movie's terrible. Right. And I'm like, no, it's terrible and they go oh well, i've never really seen it <laughs> like like Corey said they're, they're basing their opinion based on all the hype was around it anybody i know who's actually seen it i don't think anybody i know likes it as much as i do but like they either like like it think it's really good or like yeah that was a decent movie i've never heard anybody who's seen it flat out go oh that was one of the worst movies i've ever seen far from it you know and i've been watching this film for a very long time um in fact, we can just jump into it right now. First time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to... And for me, it goes far back as when it first came out on VHS, I want to say like early 96-ish. Like, I want to say like... Right in the first month or two, like right when it first came out, I rented it with uh, at my cousin's. I was staying there for the weekend, and I was that was always the thing, you know, go to the video store Friday night, run a couple things, and then just stay there the next two nights. And that's how I watched this movie. Um, 
I actually remember watching it by myself in her bedroom on the old VHS. Like it was like a fucking 19 inch screen on the box TV set. Um, but yeah, that's my first time seeing it. And, and as far back as then, like I've always enjoyed this film. I've always thought it was just unique, different. Don't let the backstage information plague it. You know, don't let it disinterest you from what the movie really is. And, and the stuff that, you know, cause you know, we're, you know, the shit that we're about to talk about, you know, the stories I'm going to say, like these people went through hell. They went to hell and back to get this film made. Um, you, you might think of some different people differently. I don't know, but you know, there's a story to everything. So there's always a rhyme to every reason. So, um, how about you, Justin? When was your first time? I saw it in the theaters. It was either okay. this might have been an East. This might have been an early East Point, if not, then Golden Ring, like one of those type movie theaters. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I had been reading about it leading up to it, and was like, "Oh, I got to see this fucking thing just to see what a disaster it is." <laughs> and um, like I, I'm a fan of these, like these big, like they just spend gross amounts of money on a movie all the pre press shit just tries to bury it before it comes out. Like I'm thinking like heaven's gate. I love right. Ishtar. I love <laughs> I knew you're going to bring up heaven's gate. I knew yeah. it. it. It's I mean, but that's the template for this kind of movie. I mean, this movie was called Kevin's gate. In the yes. Press, so like that's the precedent. This is the kind of movie like this. It, you can look at this movie on a level with that sort of thing. But I always end up really liking those kind of movies, except for like the last one I can think of. And I might be forgetting one since, but Fantastic Four is probably <laughs> the last of these like big budget, just disasters. Right. Um, but that's actually a bad movie. Like that's yes. not a good movie, despite everything that was said about it. So, um, yeah, I was ready for this movie on day one and, and just, yeah, walked out of the theater going, I don't know what everybody's talking about. That was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, just because the fact that no one went and saw it doesn't take away from the fact that the film is actually good. It it and yeah. and not only that, um excuse me. Um I forgot what I was about to say. Shit. Um <laughs> No, it was just in my head too. Fuck it. No, I can't remember. Anyway. anyway. Corey, you're up, buddy. Uh, the first time I saw it was cable. Like uh whenever it hit uh one of the movie channels, whatever movie channel was on back in the day. Um, it was actually a pretty good viewing experience because it was on a weekend. I was staying with my aunt Pat and uncle Tim and they had one of the old school, huge big screen TVs, (laughs) you know, one of like, it looked like you were watching it through a screen door back then. Like plasmas. No, no, no. The old school, huge ones. Oh yeah. The plasma. This was the late nineties. So the plasma is like, I don't even know if they were around yet. Yeah, I got you. The giant box and like the it it was huge and it looked like you were watching the TV through like a screen door because like the yeah. you know the resolution yes. was so low and it was so huge. Yes, he's um, right. But it it was it was awesome back then. Like it was the best thing you could watch it on. So I I remember it was on cable. We watched it and I remember really liking it. You know I I didn't love it. I wasn't like wow that blew me away. But I was like why is everybody saying how bad this movie is? It was yeah. pretty good. Like it's pretty cool action. Pretty good stuff. So that's just what I remember because I kept hearing about how it was such a bomb and so terrible and one of the worst uh, box office mistakes and worst movies. And I guess it kind of blended together, you know, for a lot of people that it was just a bad movie. But 
It really wasn't. I was like, that was pretty awesome. Well, it's good that we all share the same opinion of the film after the fact. And um, I remember what I was going to say now. It was the fact, Justin, it was kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about, talking about the hype behind this movie and all. And mid-90s, sometimes I feel like it's, you know, it's an obligation to remind the listeners that there was no internet at this time. So hype movies and hype and all was a different beast back then. I know for me personally, I got my information from Entertainment Tonight. It's just 7.30 every every weeknight. I remember, you know, catching the first glimpse of many movies back on that show when it was relevant. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and newspapers and magazines. Like, that's where yeah, I read I was, a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but for me, more so was was E.T. I don't know why. Uh, that, that's how I got most of my scoop, you know. But sometimes yeah, in like, magazines, but ma- mainly it was E.T. Entertainment Tonight, Cisco and Ebert. Um, you know, yeah, it, like movies. Corey said, magazine, entertainment weekly, premiere magazine. I used to be a big, I used to love premiere magazine. I kind of miss that. Like, so like, I, you know, you were, if you were into all that stuff, you were bombarded with shit about this movie by the time it came out. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let's talk about the actual blowback. Funny story about that. Tell me a story. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Um, so... You know, what the hell happened to this movie? Um, do you guys, you know, going into this episode or this recording, are, are, are you both, like, what do you guys know about the, 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 the mishandling of this film and how much exactly it lost and what, you know, all that stuff? Like, how familiar are you guys with it? How was it, did it, like, even lose, I'm not saying it was a blockbuster, but did it lose money or did it, like, break even? Like, no I don't lost. remember it being a financially it lost money it eventually recuperated yeah. it back through like you know other sales and rentals home and video. stuff and video yeah, yeah. but in the stunt show probably <laughs> <laughs> the stunt show put him over the top yeah and uh, you know box office numbers wise i want receipts i can just reveal them now uh it grows total 264.2 million dollars the budget was 175 million now, a lot of you people right. at home are thinking basic mathematics, and of course, it, it made, you know, almost $100 million more, so of course, it was a shoe-in. What are they talking about? Marketing. A little thing called... This movie was everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember. Yep. Little, like, just marketing, uh, PA, stuff like that. And uh, that is usually, like I say, I've been saying this on the show for as long back as I can remember, rule of thumb, double that budget. And that's pretty much what your true budget's going to be after everything's, you know, entailed. Because um, there's, there's yeah, a lot you, of hidden numbers. Did, did you say 175 million for the budget? Yes. So yeah, 95. That's like, you know, you could probably double that, and that's what it's probably worth today. You know, that's a lot of fucking money. Yep. And there's a reason for that too. I mean, shit. Uh, all right, so I'll just go down right now about this. Um, um, you know what? Fuck it. Because this is how I was going to start the episode of the, the plot breakdown. So let's just jump into it because it's all going to be lumped together anyway.
plagued by a series of cost overruns and production setbacks. Universal initially authorized a budget of $100 million. Okay, remember that. 175 is what the total came to. So they authorized 100, which by mid-94 had swollen to $135 million, with final costs reaching an estimated 175 a record sum of a film production at the time. They filmed everywhere around Hawaii. There was a large artifactual seawater enclosure that they, that they filmed in that was similar to the one they used in Titanic two years later. Um, you can tell there's a lot of like purposefully angled shots because they're clearly not in open water. You can just It's just so obvious when you're watching the movie. So, um, I mean, these are some examples that could have a cost to the, the budget just going on and on and on. Filming shut down three times due to hurricane alerts. Uh, Kevin Costner was apparently a bit of a heart, uh, a, a bit of a headache to handle with, to deal with um, on set. Um, he acted as producer, co-writer, star of the film. At one point, he was the director. He was apparently going through a bit of divorce with uh, Cindy Silva during filming, and Ryan, Ryan, Kevin Reynolds, the director, felt probably that that probably added to his grim and somewhat unsympathetic portrayal of the Mariner. Um, yeah, he seems kind of pissed the whole movie. So now that makes grudge. sense, right? Right. <laughs> and that this this movie like caused a falling out between those two. They were buddies. Yep. They had done two other movies before this, so they you until twenty twelve. Yeah, and then they they patched it up at some point, but this this like really caused a big rift between yeah. them for a while. I mean, here's another one, largely due to the input of several big parties, including production company Largo Entertainment, Universal Studios, and Kevin Costner. Surprise! The script underwent 36 different drafts, involving six different writers. Original writer Peter Rader. Uh, had already written seven drafts before he was replaced, and the script was constantly being rewritten during filming. You could write an entire book on the making of this mess behind the scenes. I mean, it's fucking it's, it's insane. Um, I mean, let's see what else do I have here? There, there's uh, yeah, Kevin Reynolds. Like I said earlier, he quit the film before its release, owing the he said heated battles of Costner over creative decisions led to it but he still received full credit as director. Costner's like, I want to drink my piss water, damn it. It needs to be in the movie. Costner was on set for 157 (laughs) days, working six days a week. At one point, he nearly died when he got caught in a squall while tied to the mast of a uh, Tramoran. And professional surfer Laird Hamilton was his stunt double for many water scenes. Hamilton commuted to the set via jet ski every day. And Kevin Costner himself invested $22 million of his own money into the film. So that's where more money came from. Kevin Costner's own pockets. Yeah, Costner, like, love or hate this movie, like, Costner's committed to it. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, and you might not know all, if you're just watching it, you might not know all the, what he did behind the scenes. But just even on screen, it's a very physical performance. The guy just, like, really fucking throws himself into it. Yeah. Uh, before filming began, Steven Spielberg warned Costner and Reynolds not to film on open water, saying, hey, guys, Jaws. That's all I got to say. Um, yeah. So, to, to, back to the actual film. The story. Writer. P. 
Peter Rayner came up with the idea for What a World during a conversation with Brad uh, Cravoy, where they were discussing creating a Mad Max ripoff in the mid 80s. <laughs> and at least he's honest. And uh, yeah, that's because because I was gonna say like did they come up with the idea while they were watching the Road Warrior because that's essentially what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, he cited it. They're like, what if they were in the water? <laughs> like they're just watching right. it the whole time. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I like that they admitted that they were aiming for a Mad Max ripoff, though. That's cool. Yeah, there was several rewrites as well. On top of that, Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds joined the Waterworld production team in 1992. The film marked the fourth collaboration between them because they worked together on Fandango in 85, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves in 91, and Rapa Nui in 94, the later, the latter of which Kevin Costner produced or co-produced but didn't star in. Um, the film ended up being co-written by David Twoley, who cited Mad Max Tui. I always call him Twoley for some reason. Tui, who cited Mad Max The Road Warrior as a major inspiration. In fact, both films had Dean Semler as the director of photography. So, uh, let's see here. He shot Road Warrior also? Yes, same DP. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, that makes me love this fucking movie even more. Because we'll get into it, but the movie is fucking gorgeous, I think. Yeah, I agree with that, Definitely. That makes sense that he shot both of those movies. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, the cast had to be spray tanned before each day of filming because their characters were supposed to be under the sun the entire day. Um, the, ma- the major problem during the shoot was the cast and crew becoming seasick all the time. Almost every remedy was tried, uh, including dermal patches. In the end, they found out that ginger snaps worked quite well for a majority of the people, so an enormous amount was eventually consumed. Uh, and finally, in an interview with David Letterman shortly before the film was released, Kevin Costner said that one of the worst aspects of the production was that his character had to look wet during the shoot. He said to achieve this, they, he, he was like required to be doused with buckets uh, constantly between takes wearing the costume. He said that he recognized that the crew were only doing their job and that they were friends of his. Getting hit with water every few minutes really tried his patience with them. <laughs> So yeah, um, and then the movie itself. So we get the Universal Globe it turns into all water, with narration by you all recognize that voice, Hal Douglas, the inner world guy. And he's like the movie, yeah, he's the movie yep, trailer. They, they guy. nabbed yeah, him yeah, for yeah. the narration of this movie. That's him, inner world. The future. The polar ice caps have melted, covering the Earth with water. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. With a title card. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, I didn't I, realize I, I had forgotten until rewatch because I haven't watched it start to finish in a long same. time. But I, it's one of those movies when it pops on cable, like I always catch it from a certain point somewhere in and I'll and I'll sit there and watch it for a while. But um I, I forgot how funny, intentionally funny the movie is like throughout starting with that guy being the, the narration at the beginning. Like it, it's a, it's got a lot of funny bits in it. Is it supposed to be funny? Cause I, I like, so. I thought I, it was I, like, they thought it was cool and it just sounds cringy now. Cause oh, well, that makes yeah, I figured they got a good deal on the attention. guy because he was a popular voice in those times before he passed away. Because, because it, it, if the rest of the movie wasn't funny, I would think that, but like I, the month, the movie's funny throughout in my opinion. So I, it I is. think that was intentional. 
It is. I, I, I wasn't sure, but at first when I clicked it on, I thought I hit the trailer or something by mistake. <laughs> yeah. I really did. I was like, is this a trailer? I don't think the comedy is intentional, guys. I really don't. Oh, come I on. don't. I, uh, some of it maybe, like especially the Deacon shit we're gonna get into later on, but not like this stuff at least. Not the opening mar- narration at least. I mean, there's no opening credits. I had like I had to note that. I don't know why. Um, so there's this like, I don't know, this this whole thing with the the, the opening logo. It's not often we get to see it toyed with and shit. Like I always think it's pretty cool when like you see like the opening logo yeah, like messed too. with. Like whether it's like the Paramount Mountains like adapting to something else or like the Columbia Pictures clouds like forming into this like a skyscape or something, you know. Well, yeah. you know, they spend hundred seventy five million, they're like, ah, just let them do whatever. If it makes the money back, you know, I don't care what they do to the logo. Yeah. That was like eighty million right there. It was toying. With yeah, the exactly. <laughs> Here's a fun fact: if the ice if the ice caps actually melted, the oceans would only rise a few hundred feet. Not enough to flood civilization into a flooding oblivion. Um, so the writer Peter uh, Radar was uh, aware of this, but decided to ignore the fact to make the premise more intriguing. So I've always thought about that too. It's like, could those ice caps really just make the world like? I mean. Later on, when he takes her down to like Denver and shit, like he he takes her down like a pretty considerable amount of feet into like you know water. Like that's a lot of water to yeah. consume the world. I I, I uh I just thought it I just thought it'd be hilarious. Like if at the end they get to land and it's just like where you guys been? It's just a big lake or something <laughs> like that. And like it just turns <laughs> out pond. like there is civilization and <laughs> they like just the been in a lake. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. like a fucking I don't know, like a high rise <laughs> built in pool. Park Rangers there. Yeah. All right, so we're introduced to Kevin Costner's character, the Mariner, as he's enjoying a morning cup of his own piss in the uh, Tramiran. Tra- how do you how do you pronounce this Tramiran? Tramir, his boat. Which is- I don't know. I've, I've never. I don't think I've ever seen it written out. So I don't. I what did it, I don't even remember him having it having a name. Uh, I don't know. A, Let's a just trim- call it uh, a trimaran. I don't know. Let's just call it his boat. Fuck it. Oh, trimaran. Yeah. Okay, because it, it, it's like kind of like a it's trimaran. Yeah, it's, that's that's the word. God damn it. Yeah, it's it trimaran. So whatever I was trying to say earlier, ignore that shit. It's shaped like a triangle. So that or no? No. It? It's, it's got it's, it's, it's got three, three levels. Not levels, but it's got three yeah. sections. It's yeah, got like yeah. the main hall and like two platoons on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Whatever they're called. So he's observing his little lime fruit plant, then sets up this Rube Goldberg sort of timer before diving down into the water to go searching, because that's what he does throughout the day, apparently. Now, I want to take note of the time, like what year this is, because it's never ever mentioned in the in this the film either cut of the movie. Um, but according to Dennis Gassner, he suggested that it's set in twenty five hundred. This is mentioned um, in uh, Janine Peroy's The Making of What a World publication in 95. So I, that's that's the. Yeah, it makes sense. Because like if he's mutating, like if Mariner, Kevin Costner's character is mutating, it has to have been like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands yeah, of years yeah. for that to happen. And just the way they marvel over the simplest things like dirt <laughs> And hydro, so but we're getting all that. So we see we see the hands of someone off camera take his fruit, the the limes, before we see this bag of findings pop up from the distance, and then the mariner himself comes up um, 
with some boots that he found in that he's happy. He shows a really a rare smile because his boot fits him. Uh, the Mariner encounters a strange drifter. This is the man who we saw the hands of earlier, who claims that he's just passing through. Nothing to see here. No, no trouble. Then we see a small group of smokers <laughs> as the drifter takes off, revealing that the fruit that he stole was, you know, came from him. He's like, thanks. I lied. Whatever. Yeah. Well, the drifter is like, I didn't board you. Yeah. I didn't board you. I'm like, yeah. And anybody says anything like that, it makes me really Very trust hesitant. I'm like, yeah, you definitely <laughs> didn't when you say that. And I like the way that uh, Costner portrays the um, the Mariner in these situations when he comes across like these like scavengers and shit, because he's very cautious and very smart about like all of his precise decision making. It's just something that I picked yeah. up on. Uh, yeah, he just doesn't trust anybody he does going into any situation. Not fuck around, especially later on when we meet Kim Coates. So um, <laughs> this leads to a massive rig on the Mariner's boat that sets up and gives him the ability to move much faster. He then beats the smokers to his bag and runs down the escaping drifter in the process, destroying his boat and leaving him to the smokers who we see kill him, finish him off from a distance. Cause he turns around, you see uh, the Mariner and he does this whole like cutthroat thing. He like points back like smokers on your tail. And just mentions the, the, the whole slit throat motion. He's dead meat. So the Mariner then arrives at an atoll, which is a floating city, uh, to barter his dirt with the uh, the dude's landlord for supplies that he needs, such as uh, such as a tomato plant, their shelves, and hydro. So let's talk about hydro for a second. It's important, just like dirt. I mean, dirt and hydro in this film, like I mentioned before, are like are, are like currency for the most part. It's like, because all these items are just a rare thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I was kind of hoping one of you two would jump in at this moment, but I'll, I'll, I'll continue. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic... I was the same way it. last week, don't worry. It's a <laughs> fucked up world, so there's not a whole lot of stuff. Uh, you know, so like clean water like you can't drink seawater obviously you'll die right. like it'll you know it doesn't hydrate you so how do you purify water i mean they don't have fuel sources to boil water like so it makes sense that there's it's probably just rainwater you know and as far as dirt i mean kevin costner's the only one that can get it he's got the gills so that's about it and you can see how important plants are because the guy you know actually ended up giving his life to steal a few uh, limes off a tree and um, the tomato plant at the atoll for sale. It's like, so plants are very rare at this point. You need some sort of dirt if you happen to come across some seeds to put it in. So it would make sense that dirt would be, you know, it would, it's like gasoline in a Mad Max movie. Yeah, yeah. And we see, you know, we see it go through some sort of process before it's served to the hydro. Cause it's, it's like a green liquid too. It's not like your typical just clean water like yeah know. and it's it's as clean as they right, can get it right exactly and dirt like he's got that shit and just lugs it around like it's like fucking Benjamin's you know and he gets like a whole fucking tub of whatever that currency is at the uh the atoll now that's that part like that I got hung up on that like okay, okay I can bartering for dirt 
and clean water, but what are those little like metal pieces that he dropped on the table? Like, what fucking good is that doing anybody? Like, so the way it works is well, that's just he, their currency, yeah, exactly. Right? He goes. I know, but what are you gonna like? What? Go on. Go ahead. I was just gonna say no. He goes and he trades because he may, he meets the uh, the actor who plays the dude's landlord. That's why I meant. That's what I meant by the dude's landlord comment. He meet. Uh, yeah, he meets him, and he ca- who just passed away back in May too. I just I just learned earlier today. It's so sad, but no, he finds the um, he gives him the dirt, and whatever number he offers him, he like doubles it, and and that's basically the way it works. He trades the dirt in for this whatever they have these shells or whatever for currency. They're called like chips. chips. They're basically think, chips, and he takes them, and that's basically chips. he can take it down to the store. Which is where um, Gene Triplehorn's Helen is working. It's more than a bar; it's also a store because there's like no supplies we see. But he sees it. Yeah, it's like an there's outpost. There's a tomato plant with deal. like one, maybe two tomatoes left intact, and like I, he takes. That's all he takes. That's yeah, why they, he takes the shelves because that's all she has left. Basically, he he runs her out of everything to the to the, the bone. Yeah, I think there's like two things here. Like I read it as Kevin Costner can get dirt very easily because he can dive down really far. So he'll just take whatever they'll give him. He's like, you know, when he said double it, it's like, I don't think he really cares that much. He's like, I'll just get more dirt. You know, like this is how he makes his he living. He also goes claims down, he's been dirt. to dry land too. Yeah, well, he he's the only one that knows where the actual land is because no, it never occurred to anybody else in Waterworld that they're above the land, <laughs> you know? As opposed to uh, just not around it. But then the other part, like you learn, is like nobody has a lot in this movie. None of the civilizations, like, oh no, are like well right. off or have a lot of. They're resources. hanging by like, a thread, dude. Yeah, all of them are. Like sometimes you see movies like this where there's like one that has like everything and luxury. Nobody's like that. Like you know, like some of them have right. water. The smokers have gas and oil, but like nobody has everything. So you know. You learn, you kind of learn that early on. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this, this, there's this process I want to talk about when there's like this burial that's like one of the first things that he sees when he comes in. Um, it's like they they dump this corpse into this organic sludge as opposed to simply dumping the body into the open ocean. Like, kind of confused why they don't just do that. <laughs> Like I don't know what this Fertilizer. I don't know what this sludge is or what the importance of it is, but just like why don't we just take if 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 that's how they bury their own or bury their dead, like why don't I just dump their bodies in the water? Am I wrong? It's probably like fertilizer type thing or something. Like they probably put the body I've never in. I've about and, that before. Like they get some kind of nutrients out of out of it, you know, and use it for something, you know, whether it's food or water or whatever. I've never thought of that. Yeah, that, that. makes sense because that's. That's where is that's the same spot that Costner ends up in when the kids yes, falls, right? Yes. Is that okay? See, I didn't know. I didn't know if that was waste. Like I was like, you know, it was like a gross out scene or what they were going for. But that makes more sense if they're dumping the body in there. That you know, it's it, for some sort of fertilizer. I always thought it was quicksand growing up. <laughs> I don't know why. I, frankly, I never put any thought into it. But now that we're talking about it, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. So then we got this dude who goes by the Nord. Who just is randomly? He just he's there. He's clearly like a villainous type, and he just is randomly told about Tina Maharino and the significance of her back tattoo for exposition purposes. I just want one sip of high bro. No, not till you tell me. 
She got inkings on her back. I seen her. They say if you read the marks on the child, they'll lead you all the way to dry land. Dry land's a myth. Well, some still believe. They say the smokers even got an eye out for her. Well then, we better keep it to ourselves. <laughs> How long have these people been a part of the same community for? I'm wondering, because it's just dialogue just comes up out of nowhere, like at, at the, the the right time. Like, hmm, it's kind of a nice time, kind of a you know, opportune yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like okay. Well, and when the part, the little like a few minutes later, where they're confronting Kevin Costner, they say something about. Um, smoker spies that you know they're questioning is he a smoker spy so it sort of establishes the fact that that's who that guy ends up being yeah and there's a reason for that i'm about to get to so um the the floating atoll is to be that itself was available was a setup um the set used up all the available steel in the hawaiian islands for this thing and when more was required it had to be flown in from california now, the runway at Kana Airport actually had to be extended by a quarter mile to accommodate the heavy planes that had to land there. Um, I, th- I thought I was that was interesting. Say, I'll, bet a lot of, I'll bet a lot of money went into this Atoll set. Oh, sure. Like, a huge chunk oh, of the yeah. budget went to this. And it's an impressive set. This and the rig. Yeah. But I mean, I, every I, set, I really. More than the rig. Oh yeah, that would, yeah, I, would I would say that real. for sure, uh, Justin. This is definitely the most expensive set of the film. I would say, hands down. Yeah. Um, and um, Maharino, her character's name is Enola. You know what that is, boys? Enola Gay. No, it's alone, spelled backwards. Oh. Yeah. And the little girl is that who you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just call her Deb. <laughs> I just saw her first tab from Napoleon Dynamite. That's what I think. Oh, of. Shit. <laughs> Actually, I was trying to think what I, I knew she grew up to be in something. I'm like, what other fucking movie was she in? I couldn't remember. Well, she was, she, I want to say it was a year or two before this film. She had this kid's movie called Andre, where it was like her and like this seal were like, Oh, that goddamn seal yeah. movie. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was this. And I think she was in Now and Then. I'm 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 guessing when I can just pull her name up right here in front of me and just look at her filmography, which I'm doing. I don't know. Um, I just know. No, her she dead. wasn't. She <laughs> was okay. She was an Andre Karina Karina when a man loves a woman. All ninety four. So she had three pretty big films in ninety four, and then she followed that up with this in ninety five, and then she went nowhere. <laughs> ninety nah, two thousand four Napoleon Dynamite Deb. Um. And and yeah, I mean, she really hasn't done much of film. I know she was in True Blood, and she was also in Veronica Mars. And I'm trying to think if she did anything else on television. Maybe some roles here and there, which I'm seeing. She was on a episode of Scorpion, Grey's Anatomy. She was on Grey's Anatomy for a, a, about a season or two. But yeah, TV work. She had a role in Bones. I was. I was thinking, didn't she grow up to sell weed? But that's the girl from Blair Witch Project. Yeah. So I was getting, for some reason, I was confused. Yeah, that was, Heather, that. that was Heather Donahue. Um, yeah. Oh, she was also in Big Love with Gene Triplehorn. Gene yeah. Triplehorn. Yeah. So, 
Okay, so there's that. So upon going to leave, the Mariner is approached by the elders to take this pregnant girl with him. He declines, says that they have nothing that he needs. They're all dying. The elders then suspect that he's a smoker spy and they have him stopped. So that's why they're kind of just bitter because he won't take their like, I guess, prodigy or whatever. They they think that this random pregnant girl is with them. Yeah, they can't believe that he would turn down a woman. I guess they don't have any gay people in Waterworld. I don't know. Like, if he's gay and doesn't want a woman, I don't, but it's just, yeah, she, yeah they get kind of which mad is funny at him. Because the guy, she's not, she's not pregnant. They, they want him to impregnate her so they can, like, because they were, no, she saying, is pregnant. No, they want him no, to, no, they impreg- want him to impregnate her. Then why is so she rubbing no her incest. belly and they say she's pregnant? Like, put a baby in me. No, because they're, they hint around to the fact that. If they're all fucking each other, it's incestuous. So they want some outside and blood. And I completely misinterpreted that scene altogether. And I apologize to the listeners <laughs> saying, what the fuck is he talking about right now? Yeah, they're offering her up like, hey, you can get with her. And, I, you know, and they're like, well, why Why won't you get with her? You know, clearly, like I said, they must not have gay people. In I read world. that all wrong. I've got a proposition for you, Marina. I'm not staying. Oh, we're not asking you to. All we want is you see. We can look to our own for impregnation, but too much of that sort of thing, it's undesirable. She's pregnant. You're going your way with all the supplies you need. You don't have anything. You're dying. No man stays out that long and turns down a woman. He's hiding something. Maybe he's a smoker spy. When the elders say so, you can leave. And not before. either there's something wrong with him or he's like such a good guy that he wouldn't like because she looks underage so it's like maybe he's like he's our hero character so he's turning it down but i think more than anything it's because he's a fish man like i think that maybe he like just doesn't you know what i mean well for the same reason later on he turns down gene Triplehorn's advances right he's got scales yeah he does not operate that's not how he (laughs) operates exactly like you know he's anatomically correct or incorrect, whatever the term is. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway. Um, oh, and I was going to say, um, you know, talking about gay people in War World, the, the, the guy who plays the fucking lead guard here, Rick Avalis, he, this was his final role, unfortunately. He passed away from AIDS. But this, you know. And Michael Jeter. Michael Jeter. But he passed away much later. <laughs> yeah, later. But I think he also died of AIDS, if I'm not mistaken. Um. I think you're right. And I'm looking it up now. He was a gay actor regardless. Yeah, he was. So, he yeah, was. Water, it Water was. It was. Gay friendly world. It was. 
HIV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, the more you know, I had no idea Michael Jeter was gay. So I learned that today. Um, let me see here. So yeah, it's revealed that, uh, he's a mutant. Um, after, you know, the Rick Avilius character finds the gills behind his ear. And then, then there's this like rescue attempt or no, there's this, this escape attempt. I mean, and he gets captured and locked up, but the enforcer of the of, of the group, you know, lets him, you know, they they want to bury him for and the the enforcer agrees to just keep him captive for the night, uh, and then we see him just uh, swinging and up in this cage, this fucking shark cage, and this is when Michael Jeter comes. He needs RoboCop. Yeah, man. he needs it's, RoboCop yes, to come bust him the fuck right. out in capital punishment. Fucking sting, baby. Um. Yeah, yeah. So the Mariner just fucking de- dejects everything he has to say because he wants to talk about his gills and his hatred for humans, and like the Mariner just calls him out. He just just go away, and he starts yelling and banging and shit to catch the enforcer's attention. And it's here that I noticed that Kevin Costner is barefoot. He's he's barefoot the entire movie, and I looked into it, and apparently moleskin was attached to the soles of his feet. To protect him while he was acting, because he like literally didn't wear shoes for this movie. So yeah, that must have been a bitch. I, I didn't even think about that until you just said something. Yeah, yeah he had the boot. He had the boots on. He found for like a scene or two until this. They take yeah, him and that's it. And then yeah, barefoot the rest yep. of the movie. So the following morning, the community goes to bury the the, the mariner alive, but then Deus Ex smoker attack goes down, led by Dennis Hopper's the deacon. They try to keep the smokers from coming in, but then Jack Black's cigarette-smoking ass flies a handful of water-skiing smokers over the wall, followed by jet-skiing smokers both using this ramp that the smokers have concocted. It's a pretty cool design, how they get in. Um, you know, and I just, I'm kind of going off-grid here. I don't even have, that, have this in my notes. I'm just kind of spitballing this next topic. I really appreciate the small things in this movie, like the whole sequence when like they've got like the, all the smokers underwater and the jet skis like waiting to have the rope cut so they can like pop up out of surface. They do a lot of cool stunts and tricks with these like water it's, vehicles throughout this yeah. production. I I feel. Yeah, it's really. I mean, the sheer scope and amount of people yeah. that are going on in this scene, like with all the uh, jet skis and the ramps. I mean, it's just crazy because, like, you can tell they actually did this stuff. Like, they actually had ramps in the water with the jet skis jumping. They actually had guys underwater shooting up. You know, yeah. nowadays it would all be digitally altered. Now, you know, back then, though, they did it all there. Like, that's why this movie was so insanely expensive. But, I mean, that's the strength. I mean, the awesome action and sheer scale of everything is just awesome. Like, and. You know, I, I'm just sitting there in all of this, like as I'm rewatching it, I'm like, I forgot how intricate everything is and how cool everything looks, you know, because it's been like 15 years since I watched this. Yeah, I know the movie costs 175 million, but this is one of those movies where you go, I, I saw every penny of it on the screen. Like it made sense when I saw it. I was like, OK, because the effects don't hold up very well. Luckily, there's, there's a not couple a ton of special. Yeah, luckily, there's not a ton of special right. effects. This shit's all practical, and it's fucking amazing. I love this sequence. This is one of my favorite, in any action movie, yeah. one of my favorite sequences, this whole Atoll scene. It's fucking beautiful. And the camera work, like Kevin Reynolds, 
you know, he didn't do a lot of note. The only, the, the other more noticeable, uh, notable thing is the Robin Hood movie, which isn't great, but has some decent action in it. But the action in this movie is fucking fantastic. And the camera moves like he does a lot of like swooping crane shots that are just yeah, really, really yeah. look good and, and give you a sense because the camera's moving and you're seeing shit going on in the background. And it really gives you a sense of space and, and the location that you're in. And it, it feels, you know, not that you feel that you're there, but you feel what's going on in the movie. It yeah. does a really good job of that. Yeah, the cam- you brought that up. I meant to mention that the camera movement and just the way everything's shot and not in just this scene, but in all the scenes, the is whole great. Movie. Like the whole yeah. the movement, the kinetic energy you get and the feeling of like, you know, it's not edited to death and a ton of cuts. Right. Like you feel like you're right in there and you're experiencing it in real time. And, and the movement uh, does a lot for that, too. Yeah, it looks the way I want an action movie to look. You know, if I if I had my druthers, they would all instead of that quick editing shit, which I think and I'm not the first person to say this, but it hides the deficiencies of the director that they can't make a good action scene. So you do all that like camera pushed in quick edit shit where it's hard to tell what's going on in any given moment. You know, the camera's back here, swoops in, swoops around, doesn't cut, you know, give just really gives you a sense of what's going on. I think that the direction of this movie, the, the directing of this movie is a really undervalued aspect of it. Kevin Reynolds just did a fantastic job. Yeah. So we're about to get into some heavy Deacon conversations here. Do you guys know a lot of people turned down the role? Do you know about any people who originally were offered to turn it down? I mean, I got... I've got like five or six names and I've got two reasons behind the reasons why like I really didn't do a lot of research on this like I just went based on my memory just viewing it and my memory of the hype at the time so I don't yeah I don't I don't know a lot of the trivia shit so I'm interested to hear all that's fine no uh so originally Sam Jackson turned it down because he was doing Die Hard with the Vengeance which I think was the the smarter decision because I love fucking Zeus I love that movie um, Gene Hackman, James Caan, Gary Oldman also turned it down. Oldman told GQ. Oldman, I can see well, He him. told GQ magazine that he him. rejected the role for one reason. He flipped the coin and took a role in the Scarlet Letter instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Al Pacino in City Hall. Yeah. Now, another name that I was reading about, but I, I just... Sometimes you got a feeling when you're reading something, you got to call bullshit. And I was calling bullshit because I was reading a couple of places that were saying Jack Nicholson was offered, <laughs> but apparently, no, he wasn't offered. He was considered, but he was demanding too much money. I can believe that part, but I just, I don't know. I just can't find an idea at the slightest where yeah. he could be this I character. Can- I can see them like giving him a, the script or some kind of treatment and he just starts laughing and walking away. Like, I just cannot imagine no, Nicholson absolutely even, not. like contemplating <laughs> this. I mean, Hackman, Hackman or Khan could have been interesting 10 or 15 years earlier. They were too old for the I part. I couldn't see either of them by, either. By 95. Yeah, Khan, I, I could have seen them in the early 80s if this movie was maybe. back then, but not by 95. No, no. 
God, no. It would have been a different movie because yeah. you know, I don't think the Deacon character obviously would have been nearly as goofy with Hackman or Khan. Like, I probably would have been scared of the motherfucker with, with either of them two. I'd probably be like, please, Mr. Deacon. Don't <laughs> oh, me. I thought we were talking about the Mariner. You said, oh, Deacon. Yeah, Deacon. Oh. We're talking about, yeah, we're talking I about Dennis Hopper. Deacon. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, Kevin Costner was always the Mariner. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a given. So right, right, yeah. No, I, I, I spaced. I had a space out moment. That's all right. Shit happens. See, so, yeah, meanwhile, the Mariner gets knocked into the sludge by a flying smoker. He tries to break himself free. Remember, the sludge is too thick for him to breathe in. But then Michael Jeter accidentally triggers this emergency lever that activates this escape plan that he's been working on with Helen and Enola. Since they can't ride with him now because he's flying too high and they'll hot air balloon concoction he's got they decide to go rescue the mariner as long as he takes them with him so by this point the smokers have essentially claimed the atoll for themselves which means pure destruction the mariner just barely escapes in his trimaran when there's this gunner who i notice is played by the actor who plays eddie caputo in child's play he's um his name is chuck and he's tricked in the firing back at the rest of the smokers, including the deacon. What's his name again? Chuck. How about I call him Charles? Hey, Charles. Maybe answers the Charles. I love that. <laughs> hey, Charles. That was a funny And he's like, adios, cousins, and dives off as his fucking thing crashes and explodes. Answer me this, somebody. Why is that boat still firing? Well, what's that cousin's name? Chuck. Hey, Chuck! He's pulling him right into us! Maybe he doesn't answer to Chuck, call him Charles! Charles! Stop him! Stop him! Ah! Charles! Adios, cousins. Somehow he loses his eye in the process, but it's all good. Um, and then we see that the Nord is working with the Deacon, as revealed back at the Atoll, as they're going through all the girls, trying to find this map that he found out about earlier. So, yeah, then we get this ridiculous scene back on the the rig, which is, by the way, called the D's. Um, and he's got this, like, wooden eye or whatever that's painted on him. And he's like... <laughs> It does what look do like shit. Like, what do you think? <laughs> I think it looks like shit. He's right. It does look like shit. There. All done. Now, there may be some small problem in depth perception. Well, it better not screw up my short game. Well. Looks good. Yeah, I like it better than you realize. Much better. What do you say, Toby? The truth. Looks like shit. That's why I love children, no guile. It does look like shit. <laughs> it's like cold shit. I fucking love it's that like line. one of the funniest lines. I, I love the line. It's like a meme. Yeah. Like people used it, like have stuff hold it, uh, like in his hand. It does look like I shit. I know somewhere, somewhere <laughs> Andrew's going to listen to this episode and he's going to have a laugh because somehow I vaguely remember him 
and a couple of his other friends using this like soundbite for like a meme, just like you described, Corey. I forgot what it was about or whatever, but like I remember a couple I remember the movie. scene. I like I remember that line and I remember my brother always playing it and having a good laugh. So um the Mariner wants to eliminate Enola, saying that three of them won't make it to dry land in the twelve days it's gonna take for them to get there. Helen then offers herself to him using this obvious body double, but he calls her out on her bullshit saying that he was, he was worthless to her just, you know, a day ago. She tries to force him with his own spear gun, but then he just drops this sail on her and beats her with a paddle. This is funny. He just starts beating on her while she's fucking stuck in there. Um, now Enola and Helen are initially treated and cited like this, that the way that they are treated, you know, it's, 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 I don't know, like the crayon incident where she, where Enola admits to going through his stuff down below, like his cold shoulder towards them, especially Enola and the little girls in general. Like he calls him, she calls him ugly, so he just fucking picks her up and just tosses her into the ocean. <laughs> it's like the most yeah, ridiculous, it's... like cold act of like callousness I've ever seen in one film. It's just like you know what, I'm done. I'm done with you. Fuck this. And just jumps her out into the ocean, even though she can't swim. Yeah, it like I can understand like what they were trying to do because he, you know, the Mariner's such a loner character. He's never uh, been around anybody for that long. He's never cared about anybody. I get that, but the problem is he's supposed to be our main hero, so it kind of right. makes him very unlikable. That <laughs> he's this cold and callous. Like I know he's kind of like an anti-hero, but well, I, eh, there's got to be a middle line here a little well, bit. I think well, it, like it just. He comes off like such an ass in some of this stuff. Obviously, he comes around later, but also it's kind of like misogynist. Like, you know, like these two like like terrible women that don't can't do anything and I got to do everything like I don't know. It just comes off very I don't know. You would I don't think you would see this nowadays. Like it just comes off like they're just terrible women and can't do anything and I got to protect them and keep them safe. But Corey, you know, whatever, as I have here written in my notes. He eventually turns around because mutants have hearts too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a, like a stock post-apocalyptic hero or anti-hero character at this point. Right. And ha- having grown up on the road warrior, it's like, th- I mean, this movie is in many ways, like I said, it's a road warrior remake. So yeah. you, you take you and they don't show it explicitly in this movie, but with this type of character, you can assume that at some point he had not necessarily a family, but he had people that he cared about in the past that he lost and it kind of hardened him up. And then just living this, this nomad lifestyle, he learns that you really can't trust anybody. There's just, just a law of the land that, that dictates that the more attachments you have, the more kind of exposure you put yourself out there for. So the, the character, I, I think it makes sense. Like, I understand it can be off-putting, but I think that's the archetype for this character. So it, it, that that aspect of it. And you know that he's going to eventually come around to these two at some point. So I don't feel like that was ever, you know, this isn't a movie that subverts expectations. So I, I didn't think that was ever in question. So the character never really rubbed me the wrong way. I, I, I knew kind of that's the way it was going to play out. Yeah, because it's like you said, it's just very similar characteristics to, you know, Gibson's portrayal in The Road Warrior. It's like to a T, almost. 
Yeah. So Jack Black returns and is playing and circles around the trimaran, this time with a gunner attached. Anola takes it upon herself to use the spear gun on the boat to kill the gunner, except it stays attached and eventually brings the, the, the trimaran sail. Like it bends it upward before Black eventually shoots the rope with a gunshot and it frees him and that knocks the trimaran back to level and then it knocks the mariner like far into the water. Just knocks him back out into the water and shit. And he returns aboard, refuses to take them to dry land now, cuts off some of their hair, um, even though Helen's like apologizing profusely, causing Anola to shout that, you know, she was saying sorry, you're supposed to say something back. And then allows them. Well, and they go back. Go. And they go back to a point we were just making. Like, this kind of shows why he he's cold to people and is an asshole. Like, he was living his life and you know this doing his right. thing. And as far as we know, the worst thing that happened to him recently was he got some lines stolen from him. But he puts these two on his boat, and his whole fucking boat gets destroyed practically. So there's some merit to that. I don't trust anybody. I don't help anybody. I just kind of put my head down and, and live my life, you know, in this landscape, that mentality makes some sense because as soon as he, he extends a hand and helps somebody, his whole world comes crumbling down. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like he had this whole lifestyle and everything set up. And then just because he went in one day to do his typical thing and barter and shit went down the same day he was there. It's like, he didn't ask for this. You know, but in the other hand, the deal was if it weren't for them, he'd be dead. So it works both ways. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to go yep. back. Um, so Jack Black returns to the Deacon with news of the girl with the dry land tattoo on her back being discovered by the Mariner. He's being discovered with the Mariner who escaped. Um, and then we get our Kim Coates jittery drifter scene. And <laughs> paper, man, paper. Yeah. Like that's the other meme. Paper. He, he comes aboard the barter and reveals paper, something that he's been saving for a special trade, insinuating a, a girl. Yeah. We can start with that wee orchard you got over there. <laughs> All right, hold it there. We can talk. Fire up. Nice rod, isn't it? I like that rod. Nice rod, my favorite. Let yourself be harmed on here now, don't you? What you want for the women? They're not for sale. No such thing as no for sale, no for sale, no for sale, eh? No. Are they a pair, or would you consider selling them separate? No. Our business is done here, unless you've got some resin or sale you can part with. I told you once already, I don't have it. I, I, I don't have it, don't have it, don't have it. Haven't seen either for trade and rumors, though. Wait, 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 wait. I do have something that'll make a change in my mind. Something you can't pass on. <laughs> I took it off from the Tola refugee camp. It's the life savings of the entire clan. 
paper. Have you ever seen paper? Smell it. I've been saving up for a special trade. Don't you do it. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong person here. I mean, I mean, whose boat is this anyway? I mean, is it your boat or is it your no. boat? Your... No, it's his boat. But he doesn't own us. Half an hour. Oh, gee, this mine's up in there. Two pages in here, man. I mean, I get half a dozen girls with us, you know. Half an hour. You trading or not? Don't! Shut up. Forty-five minutes with the wee one. Okay. I like to do the talking, if you know what I mean. No! The mariner gives him a half hour alone with Helen for the paper. He wants 45 minutes with the girl, too, but he's like, no. She's like, no, fuck that. And then... Uh, Eventually, when they go down together, he changes his mind right before things are about to get intimate, and causes an on off. It causes an off-screen death. Like I like this effect with the image of the women on top, but all you can hear is the commotion down below, and you just expect the first person to come out is you know the one who made it, and of course Coates comes out, and nope. So he's I wouldn't yeah, have seen him that one. One of the more memorable sequences of the movie that that shot in particular. I, I agree. Like, I always love that. Yeah. And Same. I was going to say, I wouldn't mind seeing a movie where Kim Coates uh, lives and just the movie continues with him as the main character because I would kind of <laughs> be interested to watch that. Or a prequel <laughs> of his character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I, I always remember this. You know, I know Kim Coates was in other stuff around this time, you know, in small roles, but this was always like the first one that stood out to me, like it yeah. is the paper guy. And, um, you know, I also like you guys said, I like the whole fact that you don't see the fight because let's be real. It's going to suck. Like they're in that small <laughs> hole oh, yeah. in that little ship. Like we don't need to see that. It's going to look like shit. So and I've always you know, it does look like shit. It does Skip look like it. shit. I've always felt that this scene, even though it's short. Like I, I, this has always stood out. Like this scene alone has always been a standout for me. Kevin Coach, like you mentioned, this this um, him being someone you remember seeing first in this. I don't know if this was the first. It could have been this. It also could have been Bad Boys because it came out at the same time. He's in that opening scene. Um, you could also argue the Last Boy Scout, which came out a few years prior to this. Yeah, that's. I think that's my first. Yeah, friend, was the Last Boy. Yeah, scene. that's the one I used to always think. Uh, and I, I know. I think Sean's the one who always shits on it, but like on this show, I know Sons of Anarchy maybe isn't a big favorite. I was always a fan of that show. I really liked it. Yeah, and I like so, that show too. I yeah, wasn't. so that's now that's now what I think of him. From, yeah, I can see that. But I think before that, it, it was this and Last Boy Scout. Yeah, it'll be this and Bad Boys for me that I'll remember him from the most. Uh, I I I too wasn't a big Sons of Anarchy fan, and for the record, I. I've given it a try numerous times. It just wasn't my thing. And also for the record, I think that Charlie Hunnam's an okay actor. I don't hate him the way Sean does. So Yeah, Sean hates I don't understand. He's got a fucking hatred for that guy. Hatred for that guy. <laughs> Woo. I, I, don't, I would love to fucking find out what the hell he did to him. Woo. Maybe Pacific Rim rubbed him the wrong way. I don't know. God damn. <laughs> 
What was that earlier show? Undeclared he was on? Maybe he wasn't a fan of that. So I don't know. Sons of Anarchy might be the only thing I've ever seen. No, I've seen him nah, in other, he's in other shows, stuff. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have that strong reaction about him one way or the other. So the Mariner goes fishing. And man, what's up with this fucking CGI? This 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 creature that fucking comes out and eats him. <laughs> what the fuck? It's, it's- it's ninety five CGI. I mean, oh it's, man, it's it it's something else. It's ooh. I mean, uh, and something unrelated, but I put it here just because it, it involves filming on water. Um, there were a lot of unforeseen problems that we that I mentioned before. Scenes taking place inside the 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 the, the atoll set, um, just off the coast. Um, that scenes taking place on open water. It took hours to bring the set and ships at least two miles off the coast to get to that view that offered 270 degrees of open water. That's all they asked for, not 360. Turning the set or the trimaran so that the camera wouldn't pick up land was also very time-consuming. You got to think about that, too. Like I mentioned before on the show, like, here, like, it's very obvious that these are, like, shot like specifically focused on like one direction because they're clearly not on open water. Um, you know, conditions also deteriorated the afternoon. Like it, they had to stop filming between three and 4 PM cause it got so just boistering and to make matters worse, about 30 additional boats used by the cast and crew were needed for lighting, camera, makeup, catering, costumes, etc. None of which had bathrooms. Filming had to be repeatedly st- had had to stop repeatedly so people could be ref- ferried to portable toilets on a barge anchored near the uh, shore. All these the all these barge. limitations usually allowed for only five to six setups on each day of filming, significantly extending the yeah, shooting schedule. Oh my god! It, oh. I just I just imagine like they have like the you know the main trimaran boat and then like the boom guys on this little fucking dinghy floating <laughs> next to it holding the boom <laughs> mic over right, Kevin right, Costner. Right. <laughs> there were so many there were so many shots and not not even like the big action sequences just standard like dialogue scene shots where i was like god i wonder how much of a nightmare it was just to film that fucking take like right. this movie had to be just nightmarish to work on but they got it done <laughs> but they got it done so yeah we see the mariner and enola getting closer as he's more open to her being around yeah we see uh Helen watches them out in the ocean swimming together. He's teaching her how to swim for herself. Um, and this is where I put down the note here that Maharino was nicknamed Jellyfish Candy by the crew because she was stung apparently several times during production by Jellyfish. <laughs> um, and then we get the Deacon and his puppeteering ruse with a bunch of corpses like that the Mariner and company nearly <laughs> escaped from, but then he's shot by the Deacon and then orders trackers sent after them. But yeah, like they come up above uh, upon this rig and there's like everyone's waving and sitting around. It's like that don't look right. That should be a sign there. Like the the fact that they're waving, like has anybody been friendly Collectively. in water exactly. world so far? And the fact that everyone <laughs> like, down at the bottom are like just clearly dead. Well, I guess they get closer and see that, but I, I you know, it's like that sick dark humor, so I kind of right. like the whole part oh, like too. that they're tied up and waving and the fact that the smokers did all this instead of the smokers just getting cleaned up and trying to look like, <laughs> right, the trainers, right, right. like they 
they strung these fucking guys up to <laughs> make them leave. Like, I found that kind of amusing. It's, like Kevin Costner was gonna recognize them. It's or like something Kevin like McAllister is rusing the Wet Bandits in fucking Home Alone with the cardboard cutouts and shit, moving their hands around. <laughs> and um, you know, like I just want to say, like going to Kevin Costner's ship, like it's just so cool because like he has the fucking like underwater view. He goes down and looks underwater. That's he cool sees as shit. The jet skis waiting like you can tell they put a lot of thought into his boat like I, I just really appreciate that and like he sees the guys underneath and then they try to get the boat with the nets and he fucking leans it over and like the boat's coming out of the water like this whole escape scene is it awesome is. like it's another awesome scene like and you can tell they put a lot of thought into it i, I really yeah, i'm glad you brought scene. up the boat yeah this scene's great and i'm glad Corey, you specifically mentioned how cool the boat is look i'm not going to say it's iconic like the millennium falcon or anything <laughs> like that but it's it's like a vehicle in an action movie that maybe deserves a little bit more recognition than it's ever gotten it's like there are scenes where he's just like like he's just kind of like in different spots of the boat just chilling like he's got his little like spots where he just leans back as the boat is just like zooming through the water and he's just kind of taking it in or he's standing up on that that third level of the mast and just kind of like letting the breeze hit his face. Like he's, he lives on this thing. So he's got like, there's not one spot that you see him in at all times on this boat. He moves around. I like the way he grabs the, the, uh, the rope and swings from the back to the front. I love that shit. Like it's a really cool vehicle. And, um, and it, it, they do a good job of making it feel lived in and making it feel like he really knows that thing inside and out. Yeah, I love it too. It's so awesome. Like, and I'm ashamed of myself that I don't know the name of it because I like it so much that, that I should. Well, now you know. And no one's half the battle, buddy. No, I don't know because I forgot already, but I know that try I should. Trimoran. 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 Yeah, I knew it was try something. Goddamn, boy. <laughs> I call it the SS costume. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember that easier than Trimoran. So Mariner, he's, he's telling Helen that Dryland doesn't exist, uh, causing her to freak out, and then he tells her that he'll take her to Dryland, and then next scene, boom, they're both down underwater exploring Denver, while Enola's ordered to stay aboard, not to touch anything. Not the smartest idea, knowing that they've got smokers on their trail, but whatever. Well, you do you, movie. Movie's gonna movie. That's that's yeah, what I was gonna bring up. Yeah, it's a big plot yeah. hole. Like, why would they be going down there right now? Like, I forgot that that's how the girl got captured. And I, as soon as Not they quite, did it, I was she's hidden because we come back up and Deacon and all them are on board, but we see Enola down below and hiding, like on on like the actual like float device of the actual ship. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But either way, it's I'm like they, you know, Kevin Costner, the Mariner's been so smart up into this point, and he's just like, yeah, you know, we we ran away from 20 minutes ago. We're good. They can't catch up to us. <laughs> so let's go underwater and explore. And uh, you know, you guys mentioned it, but some of the effects, like it doesn't look terrible when they're under the water and you see the city, but it's definitely dated. Like it's yeah. dated. That's the one part oh, of the yeah. movie. Um, yeah. Then he introduces himself to the Mariner and goes to the side on. One or the other, which who he's gonna kill if they don't want to tell him where the girl is. Proper introductions first. I'm the deacon. If you don't recall the face, 
Perhaps it's because I didn't always look like this. Now, I suspect she's somewhere real close. So we could tear this boat apart looking for her, but I'd rather somebody just tell me where she is. The first one that does that lives. And the runner-up, well, actually, there are no runners-up. Oh, sweet Joe, I love this part. Choose of one, two, live or die. You know, personally, I'd rather shoot the sperm of the devil here. Uh-huh. But you know something? I don't think you're gonna tell me, are you? Huh? Too bad. But come on. Huh? What do you say? She's not your kind. You don't even have a kind. If you say it, he'll still kill us both. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Don't tell me. I swear to Poseidon I will torch your boat. Refresh my memory. What happens when neither one of them talks? Never happened before. Never happened before. All right! If they won't tell us where she is, do them, both of them! Just kill them now! So gullible, <laughs> bring her here. Take you shall receive. So end your daily sermonette. <laughs> oh, we gotta do is figure out this map. Turn her upside down here, boys. Turn her up. Does that mean anything to you at all? No. All right. We'll figure it out back in the deep. Back in the deep, boys. Careful with her. Careful and then, with her. of course, Anola reveals herself as the Mariner and Helen escape underwater with them. Using his breath and abil- breathing abilities to keep her under, you know, he's like using because he can breathe with his gills, and she—it's the whole—you get it. So they return to the boat, and it's completely fucking destroyed, just tore the fuck up. Um, and then we get back to the rig. And Deacon's trying to be friends with Finola, and then he's—he offers her a cigarette, which I thought was cute. <laughs> and he's trying to find <laughs> out the truth behind her tattoo, so we can get the dry land, of course. And then uh, back to Mariner and Helen, thinking they're going to die out there alone. The two get intimate, and then we see the Mariner down under in his boat, which is all underwater. And he finds various crayon drawings of items from that that, that, uh, Enola did, but he notices them from the National Geographic pages that he has also. Paper. Yeah, paper. So when... (laughs) <laughs> Gregor shows up out of the blue and takes them to a new makeshift atoll that's inhabited by the survivors of the first atoll. There, the Mariner decides to go after the smokers using one of the jet skis that they have to find Anola and bring her back. So, yeah, and how come nobody else is going to help? Like, I was like, why is the guy <laughs> that they, you know, they just met got to go get her? Like, what are the rest of you fucks doing? Because <laughs> they trust that he can do it. On your- He's the man for the job. Yeah. Floating on their fucking <laughs> stupid hot air balloon right. instead of helping the Mariners. I mean, like, I, you know, I know why the Mariner would go after because now he knows that she was on dry land, you know, because of the picture. But still, I'm like, damn, I, I forgot that he has to go at it alone. Well, even more importantly, at this point, the Mariner is going after her because he says when when he's on the boat, 
he says she's his friend, which is a scene that I, I, I fucking love that line in the movie. Like, it, not that I get choked up or anything, right. but I, that's like I always get moved by that moment when he says, "Well, she's my friend." Like, I love that, and that—that's I think more than anything is why <laughs> he more you know he doesn't care if he has to go by himself. He's going to go back and get her back because yeah. there's an emotional attachment at this point. And I, I just want to mention one other thing. Like, I, I don't know if we, if I missed it or we skipped over it, but the part when he cuts their hair, like when he's pissed off at the, um, at them and he cuts yeah, that, both that of their happened. hair yeah. and they just got, well, I know oh, it already okay. happened, but I didn't know if we mentioned it or not, but I just love how they like have fucked up hair the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like both of them. Like, it's just kind of funny. Like he's like, got anything else to say? And they're like, no, cause he cut all their hair off. It'd have been <laughs> even funnier if they all had hair like him. <laughs> Like it goes back, Kevin Costner styled right. both their hair to look like his, the fucking yeah, Mariner look. Like, like Kevin Costner, unfortunately, was like his hair was starting to thin at this time. So like wet and slick back, it's not the coolest look. Like no, you know, he's not. He's not Aquaman by any means. He doesn't have this like flowing mane. No, so. it doesn't. It doesn't look great. You're right. And then like <laughs> he's in like incredible shape. I'm not like judging right. him. I mean, I'm a fat fuck. Like I'm not judging Costner. <laughs> But he's kind of got like a dad bod almost looking in this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like with the balding hair, like Marner, Mariner is middle aged for sure. Huh. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, he's an odd choice for an action movie here, which I think makes it that much even better. I, I like that, you know, after a decade of Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Van Damme, it was, you know, it was kind of cool to see yeah. a little bit of a schlubby hero. He's not Jason Momoa. Like he is right. not Aquaman right, exactly. for sure. <laughs> That's funny. He's Aqua Dad. <laughs> so we're on the D's, and they're examining Anola's tattoo more in depth when the Mariner outside arrives and starts climbing the walls up the rig. So he's getting up there to enter, of course. Now, Josh Whedon flew out to set to do last minute rewrites on this fucking third act aboard the shipper's ship, the Dez. I mean, the D's. The, he later described it as seven weeks of hell, stating that he did a little <laughs> more than taking notes from Kevin Costner and trying to work them into the script because nobody listened to his ideas. In the end, he wrote a few puns and a few scenes that I can't even sit through because they came out to be so bad. I mean, Josh Whedon, you're not really the most commonly like Josh person. Whedon or Josh, Josh Whedon? Same person. Oh, I thought you said Josh. I was like, is it like his lesser nah, brother Josh, or something? Josh Whedon. <laughs> Okay. It's probably my. my yeah, he was doing like. Uh, I think after Buffy, I, in between Buffy's, he was doing a lot of punch up work in Hollywood at the Even time. Even before Buffy, he was doing this shit. He's been yeah. doing this for a while. Yeah. I mean, he wrote Alien Resurrection. He's behind that screenplay. Yeah. yeah. For better or worse. Um, Deegan addresses the community of smokers who are all tired of hearing his tiresome, same old, same old bullshit. And, dude, guys, come on. This fucking ridiculous pirate getup that he's rocking. This is why Dennis Hopper is the greatest <laughs> villain of the goddamn 90s. I, I love it, yeah. And I love the fact that he hands out schmeat to the people at the beginning. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed that. It wasn't spam. It was schmeat. Uh, wow! <laughs> like the fact that it's like he throws out cigarettes. Cigarettes, so yeah. Like, it reminded me of when Trump threw out paper towel rolls to, to Puerto Ricans after they got hit by a typhoon or something <laughs> like that. It was like 
it was like such the same vibe wow. like <laughs> just throwing shit out to all the people around. right 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 it was yeah, like, just yeah. it's a very chunky performance fucking orange and rambling too that's a lot of similar <laughs> shit with him and trump i mean he's and we didn't best. talk about it but I, I i know you mentioned the eyeball thing with the, the wood right. eye, but i love that he's never in pain about the eyeball no. it's just an inconvenience <laughs> it's, just, it's just an annoyance like i love that aspect of it that he's just like more annoyed by it than like you know like terrified that his fucking eyeball is plucked out of his head yeah and then I, come on, Dennis Hopper. I mean, for better or worse, he was King Koopa in the Mario Brothers film. <laughs> hey, I love that, the Mario Brothers movie. Don't talk that, bad about that movie. To be continued. I smell an upcoming episode. Um, I still have never seen that movie. I'm, oh my like, god! I, I, you, you would like to it. On, you need to be on this episode then. I know. I need to. I know it's probably my next favorite movie. That, that you know. You, All right, Josh. You love Oddball. You, right. love, you love Oddball weird shit, so you would love that movie. That's exactly what that <laughs> yeah, is. You have a fucking field day with this. If you think the, the Heretic Exorcist 2 is... Yeah, you're going to have fucking fun with this one. But he did that in True Romance the same year, and then fucking Speed and Waterworld, like just back-to-back bangers as villains. He's on a run. He was on a whole other level, and it was just... Dude, I mean, even way back, we're going back to like Blue Velvet, Apocalypse Now, Texas Chainsaw. Uh, I love him in Blue Velvet. That, that, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up and yeah. I forgot before. Love him in Blue Velvet. Like, he yeah. is like legitimately my favorite part of that movie. And here's a role I, that he no one brings that up all that much. He's in the original True Grit. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that oh, one. No? Oh, that's good. I have, I have not, that not in the, the remake on Blu ray. Yeah, I love the remake. I've never seen the original. Yeah, it's it's good. He plays... He was in... This is a movie that nobody's ever seen, and I'm not saying go out and see it. I've only seen it because I'm a Robert Altman fan, but Robert Altman did this teen comedy, I want to say in 85, called O.C. and Stiggs. It's one of the fucking worst movies I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> but Dennis Hopper... What are you talking it? about? Well, because Dennis Hopper's in it for like a scene or two. And he's essentially playing, I, I think literally playing the character they played in, in Apocalypse Now, like as if the guy came home from the war. <laughs> he like he makes he makes specific references to like scenes in Apocalypse Now in this movie. It's so fucking weird. Um, but like if you're a Dennis Hopper completist, it, it's seeing just for that reason. But um, he also he wasn't in it, but he directed Colors in like 88. Yeah, That's not a great movie. It's but good. That's an interesting I like it. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's an it, it's a it's an interesting movie. So yeah, Dennis Hopper was like, he was just kind of a presence. Like he, he was like a drug casualty for a while, and then like I think with with Blue Velvet, he just went on a fucking tear for like another decade. Yeah, because he did a lot of directing stuff, um, more than you would remember, probably. I mean, not like not yeah, the hot spot. Where are you at on Chasers? Which one's Chasers? The Why one with Tom Berenger, Erica, um, Elena, Elena, It's like Gary a Busey. remake of the last detail, essentially. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. No, no, I don't think so. I he directed a movie called The Hot Spot with Don Johnson. Yeah, ah, uh, Virginia Madsen. Virginia yeah. Madsen. Yeah, I yeah, had, like Hot Spot. 
I have this this disc. It's four movies, and the hot spots one of them. I haven't watched it. I've never seen it, and, I, and that's on there. I'm like, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to watch it. And, uh, Norman Mailer's Don't Dance is on there, which is the main reason I got it. That movie, if you guys have never seen that, Corey, you're a guy who likes uh, good, bad movies. Watch yeah. Nor- Norman Mailer's Tough Guys Don't Dance. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> never heard of it. Oh, my God. Seek it out, man. It is amazing. I'll let you borrow it if, I, if you need to. It's so good. And he did a film in 1990 the same year, actually, called Catch Fire, a.k.a. Backtrack. And he... Of course, he's credited as Alan Smithy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, Alan it's, it's, uh, it stars him and Jodie Foster, Dean Stockwell, John Turturro, and Fred Ward. So I, I vaguely remember that being, I think it was a Showtime movie, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but I, th- I vaguely remember it being like a Showtime original film or something like that. I remember it as Backtrack. I don't think I've ever watched Same. it. Same. I, I remember it as Backtrack it also. Backtrack. Yeah. And something about like I think Hopper was the serial killer or something like that. And yeah, it kind of sounded interesting. I'm not sure. And with that cast, I'm not sure why I never got around to it. I think it's not well, obviously it's not well regarded if it's an Alan Smithy movie, <laughs> but um I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to watch it. And I'm a little surprised we've been talking about Dennis Hopper haven't brought out e- not easy rider. Uh, I mean a lot of people would think of that. I'm talking about Texas Chainsaw. I, I said it. Yeah, I said right. it. I, I name dropped it <laughs> oh, earlier, but I didn't okay. really go into it. I was gonna. I was just about to say myself. I'm surprised we're talking about all these directed movies he directed, but none of us have mentioned Easy Rider yet. Yeah. Easy yeah. Rider, the last movie out of the blue. I want to see the last movie. So the last movie is one of those kind of notorious movies, and it, it's it's like streaming. So I, I I need to go back. I think it's on. Uh, I don't know if it's on Tubi. I think it's on Canopy. I've been meaning to go back and watch that one and see if it's as bad as everybody says it is. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> because now I'm curious if it's streaming. It's on... You can rent it on Prime for three three bucks, but it's not. If it was on, I know it was on Canopy at one point. They might have got rid not of it. Not anymore, unfortunately. Sorry. The fuck is Canopy? I've never Canopy, heard of it either. I, Canopy's I don't the greatest the thing in the world. Do you do you have a library? Do either of you guys have a library card? My wife does because I always rent. I always get stuff at the library. Right. Yeah. So if you have a library card, go on the Canopy. It's like renting movies from the library, but you only get like fifteen a month. They 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 limit how many you can watch, but it's free. Like you don't have to pay a subscription, hmm. and they have all kinds of great shit on there. Like it's it's you know. As far as free movie streaming sites go, it's one of the better ones. I didn't even know that existed. I'll have to yeah, check it yeah. out. I'm, so I, I, I hate putting it out there because I feel like it's a little like thing that I have to myself, and if too many people get a hold of it, it'll get ruined. But yeah, <laughs> ch- check it out. Yeah, I, I go to the library. I mean, I'm always surprised. Like They have a lot of movies. I'm always surprised by how many Criterions they have. Like, yeah. They have a good selection of Criterion movies there. Yeah. I just rented Seven Samurai from the library. I, I went on a whole, I rented like 20 movies, more than 20, I think, from the library a, a week ago. Yeah. Great place for, for getting movies. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Well, oh, we're on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> the Mariner decides to enter by violently running down Robert Lasardo's smoker character with a jet ski. Force, that you? Just bring it in slow, okay? I don't have all day. 
Violently crushes him against this fucking pole. <laughs> it's gnarly, dude. My favorite shot of the movie. He just fucking rams it. It's fucking it. brutal as hell. Just like, what the? Bring it in nice and slow. Boom. Bam. Just fucking <laughs> annihilates him. So, do you guys know who this actor is? Robert Lissardo? He uh-huh. He's kind of like um, one of those um, uh, but the Hispanic actors kind of like the guy who plays Hector in a lot of films. Well, this guy, I remember him because he has, he's been in a lot of like Latino uh, roles as well, but he stands out as being the inmate in Wishmaster 2 who tells his lawyer to go fuck himself. So the lawyer in turn is forced to brutally fuck himself in the ass while they're having a one-on-one. It's the most insane scene um- ever. Trust me, look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Google fucking Wishmaster 2 lawyer scene. Funny as shit. That's yeah, a deep cut. That's that's what, like that's not leaping to the front of everybody's mind. Trying like I'm trying to figure out who this guy's it. This guy is. I think you just confused me even more with that <laughs> reference. Didn't mean to. Sorry. Wishmaster. Wishmaster <laughs> rules. Andrew Devov is Wishmaster. Yes, he is. Fucking awesome. Oh man. So now I got to get into the Wishmaster movies. Is what you guys? Oh hell saying? yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! I've never seen a minute of any of them. How many? Is that four There's of those? four, but the only the only ones worth watching are the first two. All right, yeah. I'll check them out. And if you I'll really want to get out. down the brass tacks, the first one's the real deal because that's the one that was. Well, I'm going to start. Well, that was yeah. you know an idea from uh, effects artist Robert Kurtzman from K and B. You know, we had Howard Berger on the show last October. His former partner. And Howard Berger has a role in the film because KMB did, of course, the makeup effects in that movie. But it's also got like the who's who of horror. It's like the expendables of horror. Robert England's England, England, Tony Todd, Kane Hodder, Reggie Bannister, Angus Grimm is the goddamn narrator. George, but that's like George Buck, George Buck Flower is plays another homeless person. Um. Yeah, Early like 90s? Late 90s. About 97. Late 90s? Yeah, late 97. Is I saw it in the theaters okay. twice. Yeah, I think by yeah, like late 90, by 90, by 97, I'd kind of given up on horror movies to I an saw extent. It. So that's probably why I never I saw, saw it. I saw it with my boys, uh, Tim Rooley and Nick Nemphos, shout out. Opening night at the old Perry Hall Theaters, which is no longer there. Opening night, we were the only three motherfuckers in that theater. <laughs> it was, I remember. And it was like 8 I, o'clock, I too. Know, I don't know if you were with us, but I saw it at in the East smallest Point theater. theaters, and it was in I was the there. That was my second theater. time seeing it. That was my second time seeing that shit with you guys. I think it was the next night, actually. Like the theater, I think that theater had like folding chairs it was a in the closet. back, and you just set it yeah. up yourself. <laughs> I love the small theater. The one closest to the exit. I, I think I'm, I'm almost positive that's where I saw Starship Troopers was in the small. I know I saw it at East Point. I think it was the small theater. I, I snuck saw beers it in. there twice. My first time was in Auditorium yeah. 4 in the back. My last time was in the small theater. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so, good times, good times. All right, so the Deacon sends the crew to start rowing the Ds with most of the smokers below deck to row the tanker. We see the Mariner. He has a confrontation with the Deacon and threatens to ignite the oil reserve with uh, this flare unless he returns the girl. Deacon calls his bluff, knowing that it would destroy the ship, but to his surprise, Mariner's like, I ain't got shit to lose. Drops it down. 
<laughs> then fucking zip lines to the main level of the rig, which was actually done by you him. Skipped. Yeah, I thought that was him. What I skip? And uh, all this, well, I was trying to figure out if it was Costner or not. Like the underwater stuff, obviously wasn't him, but that zip line, I'm like, man, that really looks like him. The zip line was really him, but with and, a stunt double as a girl. Uh, there wasn't actually Tina Marino on his arm. Right. But yeah. But, and you um, skip, but you skip the uh, the best joke of the movie when he drops the flare down the um, the well. The old guy that that lives in the bottom of the well, keeping track of the which, oil. Yeah, level. I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I remember this scene, but I actually didn't watch this this particular scene because I was taking a leak. So what's he say? Oh, he's he, he the the flare hits the oil and lights it up, and just a wall of flames is coming at the old guy who lives in the boat. He, he looks at it and he goes, "Oh, thank God." Yeah, exactly. So yes, we saw it earlier because he's, he's like, "We're running out. Of, we've only got so many inches of oil, whatever." And he's like, "We just see the deacon spit Luca down there at him." <laughs> yeah, the guy's life is just yeah. terrible. Like the worst. He's literally in the pit. So happy that he's about to, It's about to be over. Well, and the other part I liked right before this was the little girl. Um, what's her name? Enola. Whatever it is. Oh, oh, uh, I don't know. oh, oh, the girl, the Anola. Name. Anola. Yeah, Anola. Um, it was just funny hearing her, like, it's okay. Oh, shit. We can beat it out. <laughs> um, I, I just thought it was hilarious. She was just building the Mariner up the whole time. She's like, he doesn't fear anything. He's killed hundreds of men. He's going to come and fuck you up. Like, I just love the whole time his little girl's, like, trying to scare them. Yeah, just I love say that. how, like, great the Mariner is. I love that monologue. And then like that, that kind of whole buildup has been parodied in movies where like you get the build up and then the hero like falls through the ceiling or some shit like that. And like bad guys just put their guns right. on them. So it was, was kind of funny to see it played straight. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that whole monologue. Uh, so yeah, the, and that was really him. And it was against, uh, the producers wishes and all. Cause they were just like <laughs> having, it was kind of like Tom Cruise, on a set of a Mission Impossible film, probably the uh, same feeling he gives gives his producers when he's like, "Hey, I'm Tom doing Cruise that." Just at that. What? Tom Cruise just laughs at that. He's like, "That's oh, cute." Kevin Costner went down a zip line. Here's me <laughs> yeah. on the side of a fucking plane, asshole. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to outer space. How <laughs> so the ship gets engulfed in flames, of course, and begins to sink. And he rescues Enola and escapes. They're, they drop through Gregor's balloon as a ball with Helen and the uh, the enforcer aboard. So they drop a rope down. And as the Mariners bring in Enola to Helen, the Deacon grabs the rope to escape the sinking ship. And then he gets kicked off into the water by, you know, by her. But he climbs aboard this jet ski and then fires up at the balloon Shaking Enola from the balloon and, and into the ocean, and as the deacon and some of the other men converge to capture her, which is, I have thoughts on this in a second. The mariner makes an impromptu bungee jump from the balloon to grab Enola right before the deacon and his men collide on their jet skis and die in a horrible explosion and obvious screen, uh, green screen action joint. It's it's ugly, but. Not only that, just the thought behind this. Let's all run three ways into one another to capture this girl. <laughs> Genius fucking decision making there, fellas. And I like when I was watching it yesterday, it was I remembered I was like, oh yeah, bungee jumping was like a real big oh, thing. Yeah. In like the mid nineties. Like every other movie tried to 
every other movie tried to work in a bungee jumping scene in some way. It's like in the early aughts, it was like parkour, you know, oh, of course. <laughs> like they, that whatever the thing of the day is, they try to work it into their action uh-huh. movie. Of course. Yep. So sometime later, Gregor has, uh, he identifies the tattoo on the back and coordinates with the reverse directions. Following the map, Gregor, the Mariner, the Enforcer, Helen, and Enola discover dry land at the top of, now this is not said in the theatrical cut, but it's in the, uh, um, the, 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 the cut. It's, um, the top of, hang on, I lost my, it's the top of Mount Everest, covered with vegetation and wildlife. They actually did like dialogue yes. says that that's what and, it is. And the Ursulis cut so that's that, explained. That, I'm actually with their alternate versions category coming up. I'm going to break down the Ursulis cut. Yeah, I want to talk yeah, about we're going that a little to. bit more because I've never seen I've never seen that cut. So in that cut, because you keep saying that when they go underwater, that it's Denver. Do they say that in the Ulysses cut? Because I don't remember them specifying that. You can tell it's Denver from some of the landscapes. Plus, they admit to that behind the scenes. It's kind of like one of those things you got to notice. Right. If you know, you know, right? Yeah. I just always assumed they were on a coastal city. That's why it got so, so far underwater. Yeah. I mean, how would you know it's Denver unless you live in Denver? (laughs) Right. There's the courthouse. So they find this hut with the remains, it's like mummified remains of Anola's parents, and she comes in and sees them and says that she's home. We see the mariner watching a herd of horses run by and feeling doesn't he doesn't belong on dry land. He and builds this uh, new wooden uh, trimaran and eventually departs as uh, he's bid farewell. And that's pretty much it. Film ends theatrically and ends with the uh, uh, the mariner just taking off for a whole new adventure or whatever. And I just want to say, like, it's funny, like, they say, like, oh, we all got land sickness. We'll get over it. Like, it's just something, yeah. like, funny they right, thought right. of. Because, like, I wouldn't think of that. Like, the fact that Mariner's like, I don't like this place. It feels weird. Like, because he's so, you know, everybody's used to being on water all the time. It's just funny that there's land sickness. Yeah, that was know? a good touch. That was a good touch. All right. Yeah, guys. And that is Waterworld from a whole slew of writers and director Kevin Reynolds. Um, talked about box office stuff, so let's jump into Critics Corner and see what they all had to say about this film. So we currently got a Rotten Tomato score of 45% based off 64 critical reviews. The critical consensus says, though it suffered from toxic buzz at the time of its release, Waterworld is ultimately an ambitious misfire, an extravagant sci-fi flick with some decent moments and a lot of silly ones. I wouldn't call this sci-fi, but to each their own. It's got a meta score of 56 out of 100 based on 17 critical reviews, a cinema score of B, 
Uh, Ebes gave it two and a half out of four stars and said, The cost controversy aside, what a world is a decent futuristic action picture with some great sets, some intriguing ideas, and a few images that will stay with me. It could have been more, it could have been better, and it could have made me care about the characters. But it's one of those marginal pictures you're not unhappy to have seen, but can't quite recommend. Uh, Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly gave it a B and said that he commented while that its massive budget had paid off by genuinely creating the sensation of a world built on water. The film generally came off as a second-rate ripoff of The Road Warrior, with weaker, slower-paced action sequences and less startling villains. He praised Costner's performance but found the film's environmental message pretentious. James James Berardinelli gave it 3 out of 4. Set in the tradition of the old westerns and Mel Gibson's Road Warrior flicks, this film provides good escapism fun. Uh, finally, Mick LaSalle reviewing the film of the week reviewing the film the week of its release on home video argued that it did not deserve some of its more negative reviews since despite its confused impulses and occasional slow spots, Waterworld has an elusive, appealing spirit that holds up for more than two hours it's a genuine vault of gr- at greatness that misses the mark but survives. He commented that while the film succeeds at its high ambitions for isolated moments, the clash between its earnest ambition and intrusive flashiness makes it generally fall short of its reach. Uh, Because of the runway cost of the uh, production and the expensive price tag, like you said earlier, some of the critics called it Fishtar and Kevin's Gate. Although the film debuted at number one at the box office and held that number one position for the second week, by the way. Uh, And finally, in a 2020 retrospective, Ben Child of The Guardian described the film as a perfectly watchable sci-fi cult classic. There's that fucking sci-fi term again. That deserves reappraisal. He acknowledged that much of the plot was logical, illogical and absurd and some of the action set pieces uh, preposterously ambitious, but argued that both of them offer excitement and B-movie charm. Well, Ben, this is our retrospective as we continue to give it the full film effect treatment, for better or worse. So, have at it, fool. Have at it, guys. What do you think overall? Do you agree with these motherfuckers? Do you disagree? How do we feel about the whole sci-fi term being coined by a couple of these guys? Eh. I mean, it is kind of a sci-fi premise. Like, you know, the ice caps melting and everything being flooded, but I don't know if I would, like, categorize it as sci-fi. I, I would, mean, it would but be that's just me. Like, post-apocalyptic... Uh, blah, fucking word again. Uh, you know... Just, a, just say PA. A fucking... Yeah, PA world with uh, action adventure, you know? Like, I would say that more than anything, but I think most of the reviews are pretty fair. I would say most of them are accurate. I agree. Especially how a lot of them defended yeah, so- the legacy, the negative legacy. So... Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I forgot about fish tar. That's fucking fun. <laughs> um, second, um, I yeah, I think of it as sci-fi. I think I just okay. automatically anything post-apocalyptic I think of as sci-fi. Like, and I, I don't hold hard and fast to any like. I can't think of any like argument about whether a movie is this or that genre where like I'm gonna die on the hill. Like I'm not that invested <laughs> right. in the argument. But I just I I tend to think of it as sci-fi. But if you don't. It, fine i'm not gonna like try to defend that position um but going back through the reviews like owen gleberman's i thought was the most interesting one he gave it the b and was like 
the thing is though, okay, so it's obviously the Road Warrior, like plot wise. It's it's essentially the same movie, you know, give or take the third right. act. Um but I think that's where you gotta stop comparing the two. So then he he says that the villains aren't as memorable as the Road Warriors. Well, yeah, I mean, the Humongous and Wes are, are pretty fucking iconic villains. But then, I mean, we talked about it already. Dennis Hopper gives a fucking amazing performance, just like comically over the top, which fits the movie. Like, he doesn't give a performance that feels outside of the movie. It feels perfectly in line with what's going on and is very memorable. We, you know, we've talked about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it even a little bit more. Um, so I think that's a dumb comparison to compare the villains between the two and to say that like this action scenes here are, are like slower and less memorable. I mean, we talked about the atoll scene and the escape from the, uh, the second, uh, the atoll where the, the, um, smokers are. Right. I don't They're, they're pretty memorable in my opinion. I don't find them slow and boring. So I, while I agree with some of his review, I think such literal comparisons that are road warrior beyond acknowledging that story-wise they're very similar i think comparing them beyond that is silly it doesn't make a lot of sense how about ebs um i kind of spaced out a little bit on what Eves was saying but I, I i didn't fully agree with it like i know he didn't hate it but it didn't really connect with him. yeah it didn't, it didn't um, he he gave it a positive re- review overall barely just even though it doesn't i'm not convinced he quite understood what he just uh, watched before writing this review whenever it was yeah i i think ebs might have been at that age where i'm kind of at with some of the marvel movies where like <laughs> all that action just starts to the blood my lawn. after a while and you're just yeah you're you're at that get off my lawn moment of your life so i think that's probably what a lot of his opinion with this had to do with i i think the movie's pretty fucking rad so i can't agree with anybody who who feels it's lackluster or um you know, not exciting enough. Right, let's talk pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Start with the pros. Hard work pays off. That's, that's the moral of the story here, fellas. Hard work pays off. Uh, the set designs, of course, I mean, that uh, all the work they put into it. And after hearing the stories after today's episode, like, how can you not respect that? The score from James Newton Howard, which we haven't talked about. Um, I'm a big fan of that. I think the main theme for the film is uh, memorable. It's one that always stuck with me and continues to. So I've always had that do, 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 That's always been in my head for reasons unknown. I just always thought it was a catchy tune. So, um, and finally Dennis fucking Hopper, cause he's the fucking Mac daddy in this movie. So yeah, those are my, uh, my hard fought pros. How about you, Justin? Where are you at? Um, yeah, the, the score, I agree with you. Like the score I, to me, it's very generic nineties big budget movie score but it worked sounds good um the look of it i I, you know i like i said i for some reason i didn't really do a deep dive on this but i this is one of those movies i just i appreciate it for what it is 
I don't need to know any more about it. Like, I don't need to, to know. Like, I, I remember living through all the, the pre-hype, the, the, the pre-release stuff. Um, I, I don't need to know more about it than that. I, not that it would necessarily taint how I feel about it, but I'm just not really that interested. Right. So, you know, all that stuff aside, I think it's just very well made. Um, it's full of actors that I like. It's just, I don't know. I think it, it looks beautiful. That the, the cinematography, like I'm glad you said that. That's what I was getting at earlier. I'm glad that you, I didn't know it was the guy who um, also shot the Road Warrior because I didn't do a lot of research on it. So that was good to know. That makes a lot of sense yeah. and, and kind of makes me like it even more in a way. Um, just that parallel that we've already been drawing between between the Road Warrior. It gives it a, a, a sort of literal element. I like that. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a kick-ass movie. I yeah. just, it's a cool action movie. I, I don't love a ton of action movies. There's like you know, 20 or 30 that I think are amazing. And I put this one in there. That might sound like an overrating of it, but it's, it's an action movie that I thoroughly enjoy and, and watch as often as I can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Corey pros. My number one pro definitely has to be just the set and production design in the film. Uh, that's always what stands out to me the most is you can tell they spared no expense, obviously, <laughs> and they put a lot of thought into right. everything. I mean, just the way, uh, you know, Costner's ship is controlled, like he has like the fucking cranks and then he has the feet controls and he spins it around. Like you can tell a lot of thought and effort was put into building that and uh, like the sets, like we just talked about, all the big floating sets. I mean, everything just looks grand and epic and awesome. And, you know, you could tell every little thing, there was a lot of thought put into on how people would live floating on the water with no land. So that's always the number one is just how awesome everything looks. And just, I'm, I just revel in it because you won't see it anymore. I mean, nowadays there'd be like two things actually built and then the rest would be green screen and CGI'd in. And I'm not saying it in a negative way, but you just you're never going to see a film like this again. So I just appreciate all the sets and the epicness of everything. Uh, my next pro is definitely just how funny the movie is, like whether it's intentional or not. Like at the beginning, the opening with Waterworld and the narration, I'm pretty sure that wasn't intentional, but it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. And I like watching it for that reason. And then, like later with the little girl. Yeah, and later with the little girl just building up Mary, like, I just love all that shit. And then obviously Dennis Hopper, like, I, I forgot how funny this movie was in certain spots and uh, where it made me laugh. Um, so that's my other pro. And then my last one, uh, like we mentioned before, is just the cinematography and just the way the camera moves. It really does make you feel like you're in the action scene and you know exactly what's going on. Like, okay, there's smokers over there and... Uh, you know, uh, Mariners over here and this is what's happening. Like you get that sense of scale and epicness just by the fact that there's long shots, there's sweeping motion. You get that kinetic energy in there. Like, I forgot how good that is in the movie. Like uh, that was one that surprised me rewatching it. I was like, man, that this is pretty well directed. I, I was impressed with that in the cinematography. So, uh, that's the pros for me. All right. Cons then, um, I got a couple. Subpar acting for the most part. Not talking about the leads, but all around everywhere else. Like I feel like Triple Horn and Maharino um aren't really 
they're good, but they're not just they're not giving that same level of performance that Costner's bringing. I feel nah, they're not um, good. <laughs> <laughs> and then just um, all things considered, there's a paper thin plot here. It's just I don't know. I feel like with the movie of this caliber and a film with this much detail and background, that the the plot could have been more open, could have been bigger, more grand, perhaps. But maybe they blew that on the budget, so they were forced to just you know make things as minimal as they did. Um, but yeah, whatever the reason may be, I just felt you know that the plot's paper thin and the acting could have been better. So, but everything else, it's a beaut. <laughs> Justin. Yeah, the acting's probably my biggest kind. And I, I'm, I'm a Kevin Costner fan. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were all making fun of the uh, whatever project he's got coming up next is going to be like four movies or something. Like he's like his version of Avatar or whatever, but it's a Western. Um, he's an easy guy to kind of make fun of. But, and I always sleep on his projects before they come out. And then I always watch them like, a couple of years after the fact. And I always fucking love him. I love everything the guy does. So um, I say all this as a Kevin Costner fan. He's just not very good in this movie. He's a fun lead. Like I, I I'm glad that he's there and I enjoy it, but if I'm going to be critical, it's not a good performance. And after Robin hood, which is maybe the worst accent in movie history, <laughs> he, he's again trying to do some sort of thing with his speech that just doesn't it stilts his performance he's just like Kevin Costner is a very white bread all American guy and he exceeds he excels when he plays that character I think that's what he was kind of born to do which is why he's really good in westerns he's just he's like a Gary Cooper like so if he tries to play anything with an accent, it just it's miserable. He just can't do it. Um, so and he's a little wooden, but all that in a weird way makes me like his performance. But if I'm being critical, it's it's not good. Um, I like treat Gene Triplehorn more than you guys do. I don't I don't think she's bad. She's not she's not given a ton to do. She's given a pretty stock character, but I think. I think she does it okay. The little girl, like you said, she's she's not. It's not a great child performance, but it's satisfactory. Um, I don't. I think that's my my probably my biggest con or the big or the performances. I really like everything else about the. Yeah, it's a thin it's a thin plot, but I don't care. I don't I don't need my action movie to be overplotted. Um, I tend to zone out on action movies when they get too much plot and too many twists and turns. Just keep keep it pretty basic and. I'm okay with that. So, um, yeah, I think that my biggest con would be as much as I love Costner, not one of his finer performances. Yeah. All right. That's it. Corey, you're up. Yeah. So my cons are pretty similar. Uh, my number one is just the plot and the writing. It's just bad. Like it's, it's subpar. It really lets the movie down. You know, I like the whole premise of like the the caps melting and everything becoming flooded. I think that's a good premise to work off of. But then there's nothing else there. Like I, I think that's really what's holding the movie back, uh, or held the movie back from being you know truly great. It's just the writing and the plot. It, it's just nothing special. Uh, and that leads into my next con is the characters. I don't really care about any of them. The Mariner, he's not real likable. I think if you had a different uh, lead actor in there, 
maybe that had a little bit more charisma and might be better, even with the same writing. I like Kevin Costner in certain roles too. Like, uh, you know, you said Justin Westerns, he's great. I like Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks, I think is like a perfect role for Kevin Costner. Like that movie was awesome. Um, you know, so I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his in certain situations, but carrying a movie like this, you know, it's already an unlikable character the way it's written. And then you have Costner who's kind of wooden and really I'm not saying he doesn't add anything, but he's just not his likability factor isn't there enough to kind of make me like or care about uh, his character. And then I'm not a fan of Gene Triplehorn or the little girl in this film. I think they're terrible. Uh, I, mean, not, I like, wouldn't go that far. Bad. Okay. they're not not like god awful like the worst but they're stereotypical bad or average acting from the early to mid 90s like it's nothing it it, it's not good like i wouldn't characterize their performances as good and that's down to the writing like i said before too so i just didn't give a shit about any of the characters honestly the only character i cared about was dennis hopper's character like he was the only one that I really actually liked throughout the whole movie. So that's really what's holding it back. Like the middle of the movie kind of sags for me a little bit. And that's, it's not that it drags a whole lot. It's just, you're alone with these characters and they're just kind of annoying on the boat. So like there wasn't a ton of action. I don't like any of them and they're kind of annoying. So that's really what drags this movie down. So that's my cons is the writing and then just some of the acting and the characters in the film. All right. Well, Let's jump into alternative versions from another dimension. Alternative versions from another dimension. We talk about this, uh, you'll see cut. So the theatrical cut of Waterworld ran 135 minutes, but uh, later NBC TV cut from late 97 added another 40, and they added a lot of more... 40. 40 minutes were added to the 135. Whoa! So they added a lot more layers and depth to the story and characters. And while it was, it could be argued that these additions slowed the pace, it did make the movie a, 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 a more involving experience. Since it was edited for television, violence and bad language had to be trimmed, so fans decided to edit together a more complete version that was eventually dubbed the Ulysses Cut. You get the best of both worlds. A true television cut with all the trimmed violence, language, and Gene Triplehorn's bodies, doubles, tush. Reinserted, what exactly was it added for? Uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm about to dive in right now. So, it explains more... It explains more clearly the relationship between the Mariner and Helen and the secret behind the origin of Dryland. It's just more Dryland overall at the end. I remember them being like an added half hour, like all together. Like I, I know the uh, the ends a lot longer than this one. Um, in the opening scene where Costner's urinating into the bottle of his boat, um, in the theatrical version, you can actually see the stream of urine between his legs as the camera pans down to the bottle. In the extended cut, the camera pans down between his legs, and the flow of the urine has been edited out. The scene where Dennis Hopper's character gets his first look at the new eyeball in the mirror. Theatrical, he says it looks like shit. Extended, he repeatedly uses the word shit. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the, the word shit's replaced by slime. Um, and again, these are all theatrical and TV cut differences. The Ulysses cut is, is merely trimmed violence and, and, and gore. 
or not gore, uh, language. Um, after the Mariner's capture at the Atoll, the inhabitants of the Atoll examine his belongings. Among them, they find a thigh master, which they believe is a torture device, a garret, uh, a garret which is described as an assassin's weapon used to strangle people in a flute, which they think is used by, which they think is used to spy on people's conversations. A scene that explains where exactly the mariner got the jet ski he uses to reach the Deacon's ship to rescue the girl. The survivors of the Atoll massacre are ambushed by two of the Deacon's men on jet skis. The mariner kills both men and takes their weapons in one jet ski. Um, <clears throat> of course, the mariner's got to kill him. The other people can't do shit. <laughs> Jesus s- Christ. Not even the deleted scene, they could do anything. A scene that follows, I'm sorry, a, a scene that shows how Gregor managed to find Helen and the Mariner after the boat was burnt down. He followed the smoke. At least 10 minutes worth of new scenes that further detail life aboard the Deacon's ship, including how they obtained their cigarettes and other equipment. There's a scene that reveals that the two skeletons found in the shack near the end of the movie are indeed the girl's parents instead of just letting the audience guess it. Uh, see, well, didn't the girl say she was home? I mean, wasn't that fairly obvious yeah, right. that that was her parents? <laughs> I never thought it was ambiguous. I need an explanation. And two more uh, scenes that show the mariner building the new boat he uses to lead the island on at the end of the film. You actually get to see it being built in this cut. And then finally, for the first airing on ABC, which restored footage um, cut from the film, we see Helen and Enola standing atop the cliff watching the mariner before. Uh, depart before the end credits. As they are standing there, they <laughs> uncover a plaque that tells us that they are at the peak of Mount Everest. The scene was not shown in the rebroadcast. It's just the first and only showing on TV that that scene was shown descripting, depicting that they're atop of Mount Everest. So and, it sounds like other than the scenes on the Deacon's boat, which sounds like they might be interesting, the Ulysses cut is a total slog. Like none of that extra shit sounds at all necessary. I can't. That's that's exactly I what I was going to say. Firsthand. <laughs> I haven't seen the cut in a long time. Um, but I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch it at some point soon because I'm curious. That's exactly. But like, yeah, I agree with Justin. I'm like, I'm waiting for you to say like, there's a scene where uh, you watch the fucking tree grow. <laughs> the Captain Costner cuts down and then turns it into the boat. Like. I mean, I know all this stuff fills in some plot holes, but it's still like it sounds boring as shit. Like I don't yeah. need to really see any of that stuff. All right, let's talk modern cancellations. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. So who gets canceled by today's cancel culture? I'll go first, cause why the fuck not? Dude, the Mariner, one hundred percent, based on his portrayal of women alone, just the misogynistic shit that he that he puts them to through, the fact that he tosses the little girl into the water, knowing that she can't swim, just these, and and sure, he has his rhyme and reason, but you can't really defend those actions in t- with today's culture, um, or ever really. I, I'm not really gonna say it like it's a current thing. Like it's it's just something that. You don't fucking do. So, you know, hands down, he'd be the one being canceled, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I could, like, that. none of that, I don't know. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying any of this. But, like, that makes it a more interesting character to me than if he was, like, the woke Mariner and that whole middle <laughs> section of the middle section of the movie that Corey thinks is boring. Like, 
imagine how boring it would be if the three of them got along for 45 minutes. At least the fact that there's tension gives you something to look at. And at the end, when he says she's my friend, it gives it more depth and meaning. Like if they all got along from the first moment they escaped the atoll, then what the fuck? That just defeats the point of storytelling. Um, and it, it irks me that we even have to say that. But um, for me, my cancellation was it, probably some of the stuff that Dennis Hopper's character says. Like he drops an R word. Forgive me. He says retard at one point. Does he? Um, yeah. Oh. yeah, he does. And it's funny. I'm sorry, but it's like it, I laughed not at the word itself, but just at the way he was like berating right, somebody. Right. Like it's a fun, yeah. it's a funny moment of the His movie that, of it. that wouldn't pass muster. That wouldn't pass muster right. nowadays, you know. So that I remember that specifically that moment stood out. I was like, ooh, you couldn't do that today. Right. Corey? Yeah. I think I think the smokers all get canceled. <laughs> I mean, especially Deacon. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine them taking all those jet skis and that fucking plane to like get the emissions oh, test God, done nowadays? I didn't think about that. Like that'd I be a fucking think bitch. Like, like they'd be pulling up and they'd be like, "What's your name? I'm a smoker." And it fucking <laughs> he turns on his jet ski or his car and it just oh, starts shooting man. smoke out. And the fucking the fucking Maryland uh, vehicle inspection program they just uh, check fail <laughs> right away. Like. <laughs> I could just see all the smokers getting right. fucking canceled. Like they don't, you don't think any of those things have fucking catalytic converters in it. Like they're all fucked. Like, and I don't <laughs> think, I don't think you mentioned it, but maybe you didn't. I missed it. But like keeping with the environmental message of the movie, did you notice the name of the boat that that Dennis Dennis Hopper's big vessel that they all resided on? The D's. It's the Exxon Valdez. Oh yeah, I I I've neglected to mention that, but yeah, I did see that in my notes that there. That's what it is. The Exxon. Yeah, it's kind of ha- have like, like a little like wink and a nod to the the environmental right, aspect. Right, right. That makes total sense. So, all right, let's uh, move on then to Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Uh there's a lot. I do differently, but what sticks out the most for me is the character of the Nord. I've never quite understood this motherfucker or his role. Never liked the actor's portrayal of him. Nada. He could simply be eliminated. Deacon can find out about the map another way. And yeah, so on and so forth. That's it. That's all I got. Happy is that. Yeah. Happy and simple. I see what you that, that guy was a bit of a MacGuffin. Uh, for me, the map itself is the, my my biggest MacGuffin, is, uh, um, my biggest mulligan. Like, you mean to tell me that nobody had the idea at any point to turn the map upside down and maybe that's what the map was trying to say? Like, <laughs> it, it just completely baffled fucking everybody to that extent. Like, Michael Jeter was capable of aeronautics and developing this hot air balloon, but he the thought never occurred right. to him to turn the map upside down. Like that, that's part is just in the whole map itself is like I said, it's a MacGuffin, but that to me is the biggest dumb thing about the movie. I was like, come on, like seriously, nobody would have thought of that. So uh, probably a minor beef, but I, I don't really have a lot of beefs with this movie. I like it a lot. All right. Yeah. I mean, my biggest mulligan moment is definitely when they dive down to Denver and <laughs> get caught. Like I'm just sitting there and 
I I completely it's been a while since I rewatched this. You know, I always like the movie, but it's not one I watch a lot. And I was like, I forgot that's how they get caught. Their dumb asses <laughs> go underwater for like a fucking scenic tour. It is pretty like, dumb. Yeah, Mariner's like, oh, yeah, you want to see dry land? Here you go. Like, I, I mean, it was just like there was no need for it. Like, at least if there was some sort of need that they went down there for, you know, they knew it was risky, but they needed to go down there. That would make some kind of sense. But no, it's a fucking scenic tour. Like, that's literally why they're going down there and then yeah. they get caught. So, yeah, that's that's my <laughs> mulligan. Like, you couldn't have come up with any other reason. Like, they throw over his fucking boots he likes or some shit. I know we don't have the boots anymore, but... <laughs> like Something. any reason yeah. right. that they would dive other than just, I want to show you around Denver. Lazy script writing is so frustrating. Like, they, like bad for bad script writing. Like you could chalk it up to maybe somebody's just not talented enough, but to, to just put like so much detail, attention to detail into everything else. And then when it comes to plot, just being like, ah, fuck it. Nobody will question this. Like, he just needs to show her Denver. Like, come on, man. Like you, like you said, like knock something overboard and they got to go get it. Like it, how hard is it to do that? I don't know. <laughs> um, these people get paid a lot of money to come up with these stories. They could, uh, they, they could take an extra day or two to come up with a, a plot tangent that gets them down. A lot the of water. people in this case. So, <laughs> right. all right. Um, where are we at now? Finger licking good? Yeah, finger licking good. Finger licking good. The, the atoll. That whole sequence, it's just been the most interesting uh, moment for me. It's uh, a, a nice, uh, lengthy, you know, part of the film that just, you know, we're, it's clearly the most expensive part of the film associated behind the making of it. And I just like how we spend a little bit of time there before shit really starts to, you know, open up and, and, and go down. Um, and, you know, we see the whole uh, barter exchange and how that works. And we see, like, the whole burial and organic sludge for what Corey pretty uh, intelligently guessed was, you know, because of the power supply, which makes total sense. Never thought about that before. And, uh, yeah, so just for those reasons and much more that I haven't said out loud, just that, that, that whole scene for like the half hour, 40 minutes, however long it is that they're there for, um, to me, it's my favorite moment of the movie. So Justin. Yeah. Same, same one. Um, it just, I, I just think it's a really beautiful piece of action filmmaking. It, it's sad to me that it doesn't get mentioned. Like if you see any kind of like sizzle reel of all time, great action scenes that this one, and, and I probably wouldn't think about it. Like now I think I'm going to, but like coming into this last rewatch, it wouldn't have like leapt top to mind for me either. But watching it again, I'm like, that is really a fucking fantastic piece of filmmaking. It's like, and it's not like a quick two or three minute scene. It's like a 10 or 15 minute sequence. And it's just like every shot is really well considered. And, you know, we've talked about just the, the camera work and the letting a scene play out without cutting the, to the next shot or, or letting a shot play out before cutting to the next shot. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's really undervalued and just a beautiful piece of action filmmaking. Yeah. So my finger looking good is definitely the opening scene as well. Like it, it is just awesome. But since, uh, you know, you guys have already talked about it. 
Uh, I'm going to bring up the whole ending, like uh, the whole climax when Mariner goes back uh, to the big tanker and just fucking just starts mowing people down. Like he's just walking in the fucking ship with his knife, just killing people. So I appreciate that part, especially how he gets in with the jet ski. I fucking love that part. Like I just <laughs> laugh every time the guy's like, bring it in nice and yeah. slow. Bam, just fucking rams him with a jet ski and then just starts shiving people up and down and then i just love the part where he drops the flare and like he's just like fuck you like it's just like you don't think i'm gonna do it and just blows it up like i there's just so many funny parts and costner like is definitely his most badass in that uh scene right there so i like the whole climax when he goes back to the tanker until the bungee yeah. jump bullshit yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we're like ed and i talked about the eight hole but it's like there's a there's three at least three, maybe another one I'm spacing on. Actually, there is the, the one with the airplane. There's like four good set pieces and like good to great set pieces in this movie um, that I think just kind of really get swept under the rug undeservedly. Like the atoll scene, the airplane scene, the the um, second atoll with the dead bodies waving, and then the whole ending sequence are all beautifully made action sequences like we any of us could have picked any one of those and i think it would have been a satisfactory answer Uh, i just don't i don't understand why that aspect of this movie is not as appreciated as appreciated as i think it should be maybe i'm wrong you know maybe i'm crazy no i i agree with you i mean what's the first thing ed's brother talks about is fucking piss water like that's what it's remembered for more now being a bomb water or piss water yeah, or like fish tar in Kevin's Gate. Like that's that's what people think of, and it's like we're beyond all that. Right. Like just watch the movie for what it is, and you know. And if you don't like it, fine. But you know, if you do like it, I think it's worth highlighting the things that are good about it. I have a feeling that anybody who likes it likes the same things that we're pointing out. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to like this. Try that. You can do this. All right, well, if you like this film, why don't you try out Mad Max Fury Road? It's got that reverse effect, <laughs> swap out the water for all land, and boom, you have yourself another A-plus action-adventure film that'll last you the duration of two to two and a half hours. So, yeah, throw it in there after this. Make it a double feature. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we've mentioned it multiple times, The Road War. I think, the, I think more than... Fury Road, the Road Warrior and Waterworld would be kind of an interesting twofer, but that's kind of obvious. So go watch like all the Italian Mad Max ripoffs. They're not good. I warn you going in. I've watched a bunch of them because I'm such a Mad Max and Road Warrior fan that I'll watch any Italian ripoff of them. But um, like 1990, the Bronx Warriors or the New Barbarians, um, Steel Dawn, any of that kind of shit. If you're into the like the whole Mad Max aesthetic, they're kind of interesting right. watches. Um, you know, Waterworld does the same thing, but just on water, which is actually kind of a an interesting twist because all the other ripoffs I've ever seen are like literal ripoffs where it's it's in a desert and everybody's driving like a souped up car or a motorcycle and they're trying to steal gas from each other and it's like people with mohawks and clubs. So the fact that Waterworld just went, you know, left field and did something completely different is an interesting take. But 
any of those early to mid eighties post-apocalyptic ripoffs or they're worth a watch if, if not great. Okay. Um, core. So, um, mine, I is, a. It might not seem obvious, but when you think about it, so did you guys know Waterworld has a prequel? No. Go on. Yeah, it's called uh, 2012. <laughs> um, <laughs> it has John Cusack in it. <laughs> and, and, like, literally, I like to think that's the prequel. Like, that's what happened, and then you end up with Waterworld. <laughs> I like, you know, obviously in 2012, they all get on the giant cruise ships or whatever they are and survive, but I like to think they fucking go down and. Uh, they all pretty much die, and then you have Waterworld like 500 years later, right? Uh, however long it is. So I like to think 2012 is kind of like your prequel, and then Waterworld is your uh, next movie. So try 2012. All right, got a couple more categories. Let's move on to MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... Uh, Topper all the way. Look, acting isn't this film's breaking achievement, and Hopper's all in on his performance, so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of an obvious one. Justin? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking acting, it's Hopper. Um, and I know this is a pretentious answer. I hope it's not a stupid answer. Kevin Reynolds. Like, just, we talked about it, just the way the movie is made, the, the camera moves... Um, it's easily and like thinking back to it Robin Hood was kind of a not at all a very good movie but it looked good it had sort of that same sweeping camera movement it's it seems to be a style of his um, I just that's what I remember more than anything when I think of this movie is just how well made it is and how good it looks and just how absorbed into it that I was by no means by the performances but just by what was going on, you know, the look, the look and, and the production value wise. Core. Yeah. For me, it's easily Dennis Hopper. I mean, honestly, I would take another movie like just about Dennis Hopper, like a prequel, <laughs> just about how he came into power and how Deacon got around. Like I would watch that. Honestly, it wouldn't even have to have all the sets and all the crazy shit. I would just like seeing Dennis Hopper act over the top and crazy. Uh, Cause he's awesome. Like he is just a great villain in so many movies. And to me, this is one that just pops right into my head. Like when you say like a great Dennis Hopper, just villain like this blue velvet speed, like they're all uh, good for slightly different reasons, but it's mainly down to just Dennis Hopper being fucking crazy and being committed to his role. And this is no different. He adds so much, it would. I think this movie would have been so much more of a slog if you had a lesser uh, actor in there hamming it up because it is a good contrast to the just kind of woodenness of uh, Kevin Costner. And I don't say that necessarily in a terrible way, but it is like you just you have the over the top uh, crazy villain and then the not so uh, <laughs> you know interesting lead is the best way right. I can say. They're just kind of opposites, and I think it helps the movie quite a bit having Dennis Hopper in there. Alright, um, that being said, let's move on to the final category and give it the final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one, Ow. on a scale, ah. on a scale, oh. 
On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? Uh, so this is a first for me. I had a score written down going into this, and after talking about it and listening to everyone's take on it, and especially Justin, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna bump this up. So this is no longer the three and a half I originally gave it. I'm gonna give this a full four. Um, yeah, this is gonna get. It's always a film that, like I said, I've always had a massive appreciation for this, and it's still a movie that I'll defend to the day I die. But for all the wrong reasons, because for all the wrong this film does, it, it makes up for in sheer entertainment. You know, shut those brains off and embrace the noise, baby. This movie's just, you know, it's it's in full of shit you don't see, you know, put in the films ever. And there's a reason for it. Hopefully by now you've listened to the episode and you have an understanding of what went wrong. And um, you maybe you can appreciate it more. So who knows? Time will tell. So, Justin? Yeah, I'm glad I helped bump you up a, a half star on it. Yeah, my it's it's a four star movie for me. Um, I've loved it from day one. I just think, like I said, it looks beautiful, um, and it actually like I was afraid yesterday because I I hadn't watched it in probably two or three years, and I can't remember the last time I watched it start to finish. Um, but I was a little afraid. I'm like, man, I hope this isn't one of those last action hero things where like I watch it and it. Like I, I like it less than I used to. Um, I actually liked it more, like I, because I forgot how funny it is throughout the entire movie. Not like one or two things. It, it's consistently funny from start to finish to me. Um, so yeah, easily four stars. I just, I think it's awesome. Um, if, if for some reason, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, um, I hope this sells you on it. It's just immensely fun it's just a really really fun movie from from top to bottom in my opinion all right uh core yeah so my rating is going to be lower uh and it's not to say i i like the movie like i think it's enjoyable but i'm going to give it three out of five uh you know three is a good rating like it's above average but uh you know i don't think it's anywhere close to like being a four or anywhere near that type movie i you know the action and the set design and the cinematography and directing is all excellent. But unfortunately, one of the biggest components to any film for me is liking the characters. And when I like the main villain more than anybody else, it's not usually a good sign. So, you know, I had I had to knock it down. Like, I just don't really care for a lot of the main characters in this film and don't care for the plot. But that being said, it's still just so enjoyable just from the scale and scope of all the action and all the sets and production design and everything else, all the work. And I just appreciate all the underwater stuff. Like even the simple stuff of having like those jet skis underwater had to be like so tough to pull <laughs> off. Like I, I just really appreciate all that stuff from a filmmaking perspective. And it's just really interesting to watch. And, you know, I just love this movie with the fact you won't see it anymore. Like you'll never see a movie that does all this stuff practically on a level like this again like you'll never see this scale like even like a nolan who tries to do a lot of stuff practically like i don't even think he could pull something like this off nowadays you know so like you'll just never get it again so it's just like a relic of the past and i just appreciate watching it so i'd absolutely give it like the seal of approval you know from me like i you know i think it's 
great to go back and watch. Like if you're grew up around this time, it's such a throwback. Like even if you've never seen this movie or really know anything about it, just the way the music is and the way it's shot and the way it's acted and written, it just throws you back into the nineties. And, uh, you know, I view that as a good thing. Like it, it just takes me back to a different time. So I think even if you didn't, don't have any memories or never saw it or d- missed all the hype, I think it's still a fun movie to go back and watch and just shut your brain off for two hours and just uh, eat your popcorn and have a good old time, you know? Mm. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored by Land. No matter how you keep it, I'm just happy to have it. And that's a wrap on our Winter World episode, a film that gets that full film effects seal of approval. As we just discussed, one down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes over at the website, which of course is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow along on the so- on social media for all future announcements and up-to-minute updates. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, email. Check them all out. While you're at it, leave us a positive or honest review and rating on Apple, Spotify, or our website, the uh, filmeffectpodcast.com slash reviews. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out FewerCast and last week's Social Network episode. Coming up, we have a lot on our block, guys. August is going to be a jam-packed month before September. Um, well, let's give you all a little tease. We got Fast Times Richmond High coming up next week for the 40th anniversary, which I'm really looking forward to sitting down and talking about. Then we have our follow-up episode to Before Sunrise with an episode on Before Sunset before getting to Before Midnight later on this year. Um, next month in September, we're going to be having back-to-school month in the form of all five episodes of the month being school-related uh, films like Heather's, films like The Breakfast Club. It's going to be good stuff, so check that out. And then October... We have the Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod. I cannot wait. And yeah, until then, that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to the show, and we'll be back on Friday for fewer casts. Until then, I'm Ed. And I'm Justin. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Film Effect Podcast. Take care now. Bye-bye. See ya. I just wish they would call it Fishtar now. I fucking love that title. <laughs> Bye, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day.